Anybody? Nobody has the time. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to really prepare our show. Not like Morse Day. I'm not time. speaking clock. But yeah, what time is it? What time is it? Four <sighs> thirty. Although, don't get me wrong, Morse Day. Some spin doctors. Jerome. Oh, spin doctors. Are so spin, good. Some spin doctors deep cuts. And everybody knows that, but they don't know about the good stuff. Like, what time is it? 4.30. It ain't late. No. It's early. Early. I had the tape when I was in, like, second grade, I think. Like, I do, do pock grip not grip not That was definitely a moment. Alright, that's, come on, that's low-hanging fruit there. Anybody, <laughs> anybody can make fun of the fucking spin doctors. That, that was definitely a, 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 podcast, an epiphany right? moment. <laughs> Anyone can make fun of the spin doctors on the podcast. You're that's right. Easy. That's easy, guys. Can Hitting we, can the broadsides we... with You Can't Stop the Signal. That was definitely one that, uh... Speaking I... of, welcome. To... <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Can't stop the signal, can't stop the noise. I was gonna say that this, I definitely had a, a, a young, young man, younger man epiphany. I had a friend that was trying to present, like, "Hey, go, let's go listen to music." I'm like, "Yeah, awesome!" And he actually had to put on, put on the Spin Doctors cassette. And I definitely, that was one of my. This is fucking. Bullshit! Like moments, like early on, like or like, like yeah. When you're on. when you're younger, it's harder to have like a discerning mind about like. I think Snow fell into that category of informer fame. <laughs> also, where you hear it, and you're just like, oh, this is this is not good music. This is. This is I see right. how this yeah, has one one hit from it, but this, yeah, this is not good. These guys are not good at doing this. A lucky boom boom no. A lucky boom boom no. Yeah, this is a. Uh, that's unfortunate. Indeed. That's unfortunate. But I couldn't even name any of the uh, supporting tracks from Twelve Inches of Snow. Which was relatively clever. <laughs> was that the name of his Rel- record? Relatively cleverly titled. Worked on a number of levels. Do you think he came up with it himself, or did he have like a? Wait, like it, like it, like it just snowed for twelve inches, kind of like, or well, kind of like yes, in the sense that wordplay is designed to play with words. Oh, yeah, in a sense of not oh, quite still of uh, and the also the. <laughs> Which were the motions for records and penises for those of you not watching the video stream? I was gonna say that's Evan Gritson, oh, best visual artist in, on the internet. Yeah, I'm gunning for your title, bro. What the fuck? Yeah, you're still winning it. Talking away from your mic, though. <laughs> yeah, what the? Who, who plays this shit, dude? Where the fuck is Boomer? How the fuck? Boomer, did... God damn it! Boomer, come in here and fix this shit. God damn it! So named for being the master of the boom stand. Hmm. I guess we never really talked about where Boomer really got his name. Boomer is the roadie character that we've come up with, with uh, Billy Bissick from Trophy Wives. Is always castigating and, He's and dressing of, down, and kind of plays the future man role, right? Hmm. So that's that's a that's just a slice into the it's a leaf the world of entertainment that you will experience when you listen to "You Can't Stop the Signal." Don't worry. Trying we'll to reclaim to his title tonight we'll is to uh, Mr. Dank Django himself. Jacob, how did he Minois? get this? T- what the fuck, man? I'm I've always been the funniest visual artist that radio has to offer. <laughs> I'm gunning for you. I think I can. Do oh, it. you said funniest, I think I can leave a. You lot said of funniest space. visual artist on the web. You can have that. It's on radio. You're into. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing. I'm doing, I'm doing the thing with the aforementioned word. I could gun for your title. He's I getting in be, the airwaves. I could. I could, I could try that, and be not from this funny visually on the internet. What do people do? They dance and stuff. 
I'll get on that Fiverr. I'll get on that Fiverr website. Lot of, I'll do some do some shit. Some good twerk. <laughs> yeah, I can. The world, the world I can twerk. See you twerk. I've been googling mouse twerk videos, but I've been disappointed with the results. <laughs> you just wait. Give you it a saw week. Saw the cat, but not the mouse twerk. You snap. You deal with that. We're just this, not this talking is, about me twerking anymore. This is some intro. Yeah, it's actually a post intro. We've straddled both sides of the yeah! uh, of the theme. Watch with, us with, with straddle Jim Bo- Jin Blossom's yeah, talk. Jim Blossom. Who brought up? You didn't. They're not the Jim Blossoms. Well, we <laughs> could discuss the Jim no. Blossoms too. God dang it! We've gone down spin doctors. Hole. I'm sorry. The Jim Blossoms are better than the spin doctors. I think that's pretty pretty Let's... much universally agreed upon. Well, hey man, like SARS is hey better je- than AIDS. Hey jealousy. <laughs> I have right. no idea what you guys are talking about, and I'm glad I found out about you. Are these, these are all, these are all great these references are, are Jim for Jim Blossom's fans. <laughs> for the, this is like a silent dog whistle. Dude. For people who owned a copy of you think New the, Miserable Experience, they're going to get all of these references, and you guys are going to feel left out in the cold. Do you think that totally. there's people that I listen to I imagine sh- Steve Albini was probably it. a big fan of the, the, the minimalist <laughs> production Just on that wish, record. I wish I had a copy of that still, man. We might have to ask him about that. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't. He yeah, might want to touch in uh, on this. Yeah. He may not. Maybe, I, I don't think he's going to give a shit. So we'll find out if Steve's fun or not tonight. <laughs> Steve's captain fun. <laughs> this is uh the other captains of fun, Radiant Republic. Oh shit.
ready. Who are them sassy upstarts? As she goes. That was shellac mm. off of the excellent Italian Greyhound record. Sorry, kids. Fridge is too darn loud. <laughs> I think you're paraphrasing <laughs> that a little bit. But something like that. It, we'll allow it. Something, <laughs> something like that, yes. Uh, something like Greatest that. movie paraphrases <laughs> with Mouse Minot. <laughs> I'll keep going. Because you're, you're, you're mixing it up with Ryan Warner's uh, It's My Sorry, Way kids. or The Road. Anyway, before that, we had the excellent uh, Radiant Republic. Sorry, guys. <laughs> with someone else's golden era. Off of the record three against four, you can find that on uh, the sick, sick Room Records. Awesome band. We have a we have a little experience with those. Yeah, fine fellas. Play, played in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Good, uh, good stuff. They they play the musics. You know, if you if you're into that kind of thing, I'm not, but you know, <laughs> if you are, other people might be like. I'm, I'm not into music. Like music themed music's parties. Fad. It's going out of style soon. It's, music's not fifteen a- minutes is up. I'm, I'm music, more just yeah. into hooking myself up to diodes. <laughs> like direct connection, I'm talking about. Yeah, it's pretty cool. How's Facebook? Is that what you're doing right now? Yeah, I'm totally yeah. on Facebook. That, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> we did like. listen to two songs he wasn't on his phone like. at all. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Now the show is back. It's like, cool. How many I, likes did that sorry, last? Sorry, I had to look something up. Can we get some more um, likes over here? I'm listening to you guys. Is this research? Is, it's it, just is, not it, really... is research mouse here? <laughs> no. Like, no. It's cramming. Is network mouse here? <laughs> no, no, no cramming. I was just, just looking. Sorry, sorry, guys. Well, in our personal timeline, we are dealing with uh, the Halloween observed weekend. Yay! Not Halloween. No, no. Let's be clear about that. This is a Halloween observed. This will be a nice reflection on a topic for you. Oh yes. While we are experiencing a topic, what what what, what happened? But it's a good time to lay low. I was very low energy this weekend, and it's like, oh, cool. A bunch of stuff I don't care about is going on. Well, Halloween, cool. as, as everybody knows, is, uh, or everybody should know, unless you're some kind of filthy <clears throat> commie, is October 31st, right? Hell yeah. It's American Zelda Pie Halloween. Falls in, <laughs> falls in a Thursday this year. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, was that more John Wayne, or was that more... Know, it was just somebody. Like, what, what, where did that character come from? Was that, that my head. Inside the bullshitter's studio with Conan Neutron. <laughs> Where did that well, I don't Halloween know. I character When you had Halloween. that outburst that amused So anyway, Halloween Evan Observed so. is... Uh, it's a Thursday, right? And But everybody... Is th- Halloween Observed is Thursday or Halloween is Thursday? Halloween is Thursday and Halloween Observed weekend... Which is still in the future for us. Is now. It's still in the future for us. By the time this, this quote-unquote airs... time you listen to this, you've already... Hand By the time we handy. drop this on your motherfucking public... Right. Oh man, what if people don't hear and people are trying to trick or treat on Thursday? And people are like, sorry, it should have been your Saturday, bro. Signal cast, let me down. I've been producers of You Can't Stop the Signal insist that you do not use holiday observance information based on the discussions <laughs> taking place on the show, which are previously recorded. Holiday falls on a Thursday, but people, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, where this signal coming out the top floor of the You Can't Stop Signal Studios, the theory of creep. Signal Studios. It has crept to this weekend. Has been four and five days before the holiday. I saw shit going on on Thursday because this was <laughs> this is sort of the observed weekend and the weekend creeps into Thursday. Right. So we- that's actually a full week of creep. Just a full a full week of, of sexy Walter White. That is kind of a full week of creep. Sexy John Bader. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of pretty girls in, in yeah. men's tidy whiteies. Have you really? So far. No, that's no. all. Yeah, San Francisco likes to get down on Halloween. 
It does. And See, more power I... and more power to Halloween. I know Conan's going to disagree, but I used to love it. I, I think the, the, most of the joy out of almost any holiday that I've loved mm-hmm. has actually been kicked out of me in recent years just because I I I I, I, I realize I'm a wild <laughs> I'm a wild anomaly, but I have a serious problem with people like like if somebody even were to say, "Oh, our Halloween party isn't on Halloween, but it's here. Like someone make, would make that prerequisite, it wouldn't bother me. But it, it bothers me when people celebrate things on not on the day because that's the day they happen to be off, so they can like get drunk and get fucked up. And uh. but if <laughs> I don't, it, it's 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 stupid. I realize it's stupid, but I can't help myself from being bothered by it every year. But as time has gone on, like I mean, I I, I get it. I had, there was plenty of years, you know, costumes, cool, all right, right on. Uh, you know, what, you don't you don't dress up. I haven't in a while, man. I just don't. Man. I don't care. I haven't either. Oh. No, I actually. I, I always last. Year. I want to say. I think. I think I did. Oh, you're one of those last minute guys. You I totally half assed. Because I like par- Because I like parties too much. Yeah, you want to go to the party. Like it's, like, it's like there's yeah. a. It's like a concentration of parties, which I enjoy as a concept, but I don't mm-hmm. like planning for things very much. I don't like mm-hmm. I shopping for anything, even yeah, if I had yeah. money and I don't have any money because of our <laughs> so fucking rock band. So. <laughs> Like it's a perfect storm of just like oh cool I can make a Scrabble tile out of this box in a and like a, <laughs> a, a mark in a marker nice at it's an X and the point value is eight you know like at least you get that's, like, actually, that's great and then Christopher Van Gampel will just like punch you in the in the box and then it'll rattle your balls all night because mm. that's the kind of guy he is <laughs> thanks cops I've been a variety. I, uh, yeah, I think I did. I, I was Michael McDonald one year. I was, you know, that's an easy I, I just go for the things that I look like because I'm really, I'm, I'm unwilling to get a as haircut. As the best visual or shave. artist on the internet, you went as a bitch that. one year. Yeah, you went as a bitch. <laughs> you went as a bitch. <laughs> you went as a bitch. <laughs> you go as a bitch every year. That's but. racist. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I'm going to be a nice guy for Halloween. <laughs> I like things that are like high concept, but clearly have not cost any money. Like I always, that's those are the yeah. p- things that I see people do, and I'm like, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I was the unknown soldier one year. I dressed up like a like a World War II dude, had a helmet, and then I put a quick question mark and duct tape on my shirt. I thought that was clever enough, I suppose. Clever Maybe that's enough. my problem. I don't know. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> people are like, uh, really? Huh? I think Way the to last, it like, in, Neutron. The last one I actually spent time on was Inspector Gadget. That's pretty good. What kind of gadgets? Did you, did you have like have? the handlebars and the through the hat. Was that um, I, yeah, I did. Had? I had like a, a backpack uh, with like a symbol stand kind of coming out of it, and I mm. crafted a cardboard like helicopter. You're, you're playing thing. your strengths with artisanal. So, yeah, yeah. So it was like I, I crafted. I crafted <laughs> so there's like I crafted a helicopter a, thing a, coming out. A propeller out. of sorts. Yeah, I crafted a propeller, and I had like <laughs> I a, crafted a propeller from a piece of, of driftwood uh, that I is it sitting around here somewhere? On the shores. I do have like the magnifying glass that I what I crafted. I crafted the magnifying glass, and you know, come out. Had a bunch. Yeah, I had a few. You gadgets. crafted it. <laughs> did you really craft? You handled it because I didn't have like I didn't feel like going out and buying like a fifteen dollar big ass fucking magnifying glass. So I like made it like you know. Stupid, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Stupid. Don't make fun of my costume. I spent time on it. I don't, and I, I have, and I, I like on paper, Halloween is one of the two holidays that I enjoy too. Because I always said like, oh, I like Halloween, I like New Year's, but then I was like, hmm, is there any evidence of that? <clears throat> Not really in recent years. Like, I mean, it's like, I like parties. I, I, I like. I don't like New Year's so much. I don't like commercialism, and I think that might be part of the um... problem is that everything's just like. Fucking twenty four hour <laughs> fake blood sale. <laughs> get it while it's viscous. Yeah, I don't know. What the I wonder, what, what get a quart for the pint price. Yeah. What like 
we have these like here in the Bay Area. There's have, this store the called Spirit. I wonder if that's like what do they call them in other towns? They have because I'm sure they have that. Like comes around every year and sets up shop and like in whatever. some depress- depressing place that's not that's being a, rented. Yeah, exactly. Like it was like oh that used to be a fucking Long's drugstore. Now it's a fucking, <laughs> it used to now. be wherever made the cars back when there was industry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Detroit, now it's a Halloween Detroit store. is full of so many Halloween stores and for right a month. <laughs> and unintentional Halloween stores probably. Right. Yeah. Ten, inten, intentional, intentional, intentional. Well, I, I was, I was about to say un, unintentional or intentional. And I realized that that's not not actually a word. Tenches, tenches moments, tenches moments <laughs> with Dang Django. Tenches. <laughs> is there an apostrophe or is it just misspelled? Hmm. Tenches, like as in it's can't tense. it be both? It's tense, <laughs> tenches moments. Hmm. Just, just spell it wrong and throw an apostrophe anywhere. Just, just make sure there's an apostrophe in there. You could Somewhere. throw it before or after the entire word or between any two letters. Indeed. Language. It'll still be tenacious. Oh, language. Uh, <laughs> language, you have undone me again! It will. Yep. It's not the last time. Not the first. Certainly won't be the last. Oh, what a... What a... What a... What a compelling topic is what I was about to say. Yeah, Halloween. <laughs> Halloween that is That is now passed for the listener. I, I just yeah, I, I just feel like... Yeah, sorry, guys. Sorry to delve into like... It's still fresh in your memory, league. though, I hope. Yeah, hopefully. We remember yeah. it. Or maybe you can listen too. to it a different time of year. And if, be you, like, if, you're oh, feel, if you're feeling nostalgic. How festive and fall-like that episode So wait, Halloween observed or maybe if tonight. You just, so is tonight like when kids are out... Getting candy? Or I have like, no is that idea. Actually and if that's the case, Thursday? probably tomorrow. We're like radically ill-equipped for any of that. <laughs> radically ill-equipped. I cannot obtain a bag of candy. Well, yeah, we're here. Negative, negative. <laughs> we have a situation. The wolf's in the head house. Wolf's in the head house. I repeat. I just All need that's left to is know toothbrushes. What day do it's I go to the grocery store and get candy on sale? That's all I need to know. Is it tomorrow or is it Friday? I have no idea because I have no idea how people observe holidays anymore. Like, like I feel like people are gonna be burned oh. out on Halloween by the time. Oh, Halloween! Yeah, I remember Halloween. I was like, dude, it's tonight. That stupid. Was, that was so last week, man. Back when I was a kid, you used to be able to bake cookies and get them out for Halloween. <laughs> the off mic stylings <laughs> of Dang Chango. You thought it was Mark Twain, but you were wrong. <laughs> An old timey <laughs> yarn for you. <laughs> well, around about this time, I used to just drop a handful of chocolate chips in their hands, and that was fine. Mm. Give them a bag of marshmallows. Like, I don't really <laughs> care about these guys, but they're not these dicks. So that's a good place to be. It is. That is a good Sometimes place to it's be. the best you can do, and I think that's where we found ourselves yet again. <laughs> it is, in, is indeed. I'm... These dicks. And uh, we're, we're going to hear another shellac song. Oh, why, you might ask? No specific mm. reason. People who don't read file titles. <laughs> so, yeah, just, yeah, there's a little bit more. <laughs> if you were wondering Fuck. if this is the part where we call Steve Albini, it's not yet. Yeah, so, yeah. so <laughs> you want to maybe, maybe, maybe go ahead about another. On your end. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> skip ahead. I don't even know how far. But or just... uh, listen to this song. Where we'll break you 
Oh,
Yes, that's Future Left with the song "I Don't Know What You Ketamine." Parentheses, but I think I love you. Well, that's a wordplay right there too. You get it? How there's the two things again? There's the, the, the thing with the step because so. it sounds like. <laughs> hmm. Oh, what is the wordplay episode? Why do you gotta put me on the spot on you know when mm. we're on mic like this? Why can't I just like you know, look up wordplay on my phone later, read about it, maybe, <laughs> maybe draw up a little chart, you know, understand it so I can. Before that, we had "Copper" by Shellac, the last song on the Terraform record. Quick sassy little number. I was like the the dichotomy of having the really long, ponderous song that opens it, and then maybe one of the shorter songs that band has ever written. Indian, very sharp and concisely. You keep us nice off guard. guard. <laughs> nice book What do we expect now? Doing an opposite we, uh, order. Well, during the break, I got a spam email. As I'm oh, known to sweet. do. <laughs> what yeah, I was saying. Life does not stop when those songs play, people. <laughs> yeah, you know, we get spam emails all the time. Well, and it comes from uh, what? What? Uh, I mean, I would actually be pleased to, to call this person a friend. If this is a real person, but Whetstone Shizuku. <laughs> Whetstone Shizuku. Wow. Holy shit! Oh, Whetstone's coming to the party. Shit, it's gonna fly oh, off the chain. It's gonna be off the Shizuku. <laughs> Whetstone Shizuku. <laughs> That one struck me. That, that it, one tickled me. I don't seems, know. It seems to be the oppo- Na- the opposite of the goal of like yes. putting a name on a spam email. But God bless you for for color for trying. Like I, I imagine the target audience being like I don't know my dad or something as he like tries to find a meme to like <laughs> tag me with, and he's like, oh, it's a new email. Whetstone Suzuku, huh? Well, hmm. this could be hot. <laughs> what if he's like a party friend from the '60s? You know, just like. <laughs> Nat like, showed me how to like no, find no all my uh, that's a thing. all my spam messages on Facebook, and I didn't know that you would get spam messages on yeah, Facebook. Other like, messages, and, yeah, they, they like, hide them. Uh, like, and it was uh, pretty, it was pretty insane. Like all the like random, you know. Yeah, it was, it was, there's some crazy well, people. Did you get a message from well, Whetstone Suzuku? No, I, did. I didn't. But I got because I rate uh, somebody from uh, I think it was Tonga, like Tonga. <laughs> I don't know, like some, some weird fucking like. Hello, yeah. American friend. Yeah, he said Please he had, like, he me. represented the estate of Mr. Uh, Minwa and, like, <laughs> one Mr. or a Mr. Minwa and, and. Not the said, Mr. Min- Minwa. Yeah, that's, that's his Apparently, father, apparently a, a relative. Uh, sorry, like, it's yeah. actually a Mr. Minoch. Minoch. That you're yeah, looking for? <laughs> that's what they say in Tonga. The Tonganese. It like, yeah, Tonganese? it was like cl- the a... classic, like, oh, it was like, oh, I actually kind of felt good that I got one because I was here about it. It's like, oh, man, don't, be careful of those, you know, like, somebody in, like, some <laughs> crazy country sending you saying they got an estate money. What, did somebody get a time machine to warn you about these? Like, like that's like, I, know, I mean. Great. Yeah, no, I just remember hearing about like them, like, years ago. Like, you're a friend from the late 90s? Seriously, though, it's like, wow, like, this was recent, too. It's like, yeah, wow, like you, you know yeah. nobody's going to fall for this now. Like, this, you're no, about 10 the, years It's the thing. It's the like old. it's just getting to certain parts of the world. Like, that this is like a scam, <laughs> but they don't understand well, the how is, much other people already understand that it's a scam. And if one out of 500,000 people clicks on it and, like, fucking enters it, then it's worth it. It's so true. that's why it still happens. Like, that's... It wasn't, uh, wasn't fucking... wasn't Tonga. was a fucking... It wasn't a Tongan, man. It was fucking weird. Anyway, I'm not even going to fucking delve, delve into that too much. Oh, also one more from a lady, like, assuring me she was ready for God's, you know, <laughs> God's, the man that God had prepared for her. And she and was ready to fall in love. That, and that she was certain that I'm that man. Just, <laughs> we could, you know, if we, just got, we just got to know each other. I don't even, maybe, I don't know. Like, I, 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 it was like, you know, it was like, I don't know. It was too busy my bank account information. Picture. I didn't have like, time to click the picture. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was given, yeah, I was given, <laughs> I was too busy giving my bank account information to a Tongan man at the time as I was. <laughs> 
Like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not the man that God prepared for you. Sorry. Don't mean to break your heart, ma'am. You, you've been you've been prepared. God, God prepared you. God prepared oh. you for this. Man, you know you know Millicent Suzuki is actually like a real person that's actually really bummed out that you won't come to God with her. <laughs> she might be actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was it again? God people. Oh, God, Millicent would, Suzuki was no, with this one. Oh, did you? I, I mean, I, I, I actually was just reading this, mm. but it's, it's Kona Neutron, a global, a global leader in customer service. Is no. the subject line. Well, that's, that's well, which, well, thank you, well, thank you. I they, wouldn't say leader. I was about to say but, they've got you know, I was going to say you know a different Kona Neutron, but it's a common name. I was going to say front runner. So, yeah, I mean, well, we, the, it's the, not the, you, but yeah, it's the statistics good. are not out yet. It's gonna they're gonna be out later. Uh, it's impossible to fit into your usual budget without saying no to your vivid dreams and outrageous wants <laughs> that demand burning expenditures. You do, you do have vivid dreams that require burning expenditures. And yeah, some of them the require burning expenditures. It, well, fucking, I'm doing a bit. This is about <laughs> is you. That okay? It is about me. <laughs> At least you were certain is impossible. Steve Albini's having dinner with David Yao right now. <laughs> and those who know little secrets wish you to continue thinking this way. Mm. Okay. Well, that, that, that hammers home the conspiracy theory side of of me yes you are right to think that there are offhanded and time-sparing ways of getting around total of smackers that can be used (laughs) (laughs) a total of smackers smackers, huh forward this to me no don't use for fun relaxation and pleasure you can find out how to become richer and happier it is right to stop wasting your time and use the given link and find out all you have to know. <laughs> use the given link. Yeah, just like it's like switch to like Yoda speak and it like it kind of moves in and out of it. Like it's just I don't know. It's a mixed messages. <sighs> used when you compelling use stuff. Google Translate for the rest. Yeah, man. Fucking internet. I'm fucking internet. That's that's <sighs> somebody is listening to me speak right now and they're thinking that. Fucking internet. God damn it. What, did, what am I doing I with my life? Give to that fucking meanwhile guy a fucking. How many episodes of this horse shit have I been listening to? This is. Somebody this said it was good. I hate our freedom if this is what we use it for. I do too, Kevin. <laughs> oh, the feeling is is just mutual. All oh, man. Back scratches. That's always a good idea. You know, back scratch circle. We should maybe incorporate that into our really setup. We should. We should actually make mm. move our mics around so that we can do it. Just get some back scratching in during the podcast. It's yeah, kind of like Kill Two Birds with One Stone, maybe. Just like you know, lay it on the table, so to speak, and get a massage table. Mm. I think we we could do the show I, actually, prone. I, I, we have a massage table. That would Nobody would know. That'd be a very different show. I think <laughs> would be a different show. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could have like gravity yeah. boots and upside down. Welcome you know. To... <laughs> Yeah. Welcome Uh-oh. to the You Can't right Stop right the Signal. That's right. Oh, that's mm. stuff. That's... Well, I don't want to listen to that podcast. That's... <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. This is... Uh... The gruntings of Conan Neutron. <laughs> You've been listening uh, to the Signal. To the Signal cast. You've been listening to You Can't Stop the Signal. <sighs> you could possibly be as right What the now. fuck are we fucking doing? Like, what? what? No. Like, I don't know. Like, I... We've I, been we've been going down. I blame the mer- I blame Mercury. Yeah, like Mercury is. Uh, oh yeah, you're that's a big, astrology. You're shit, actually huh? you're a big. You're kind of into that Mercury retrograde stuff. Huh? So yeah, what's, so what's the deal with this? De- define that. Yeah, what's what's superstition? That deal? What it means? It's, yeah. <laughs> define communicate. Your super, define your superstition. Yeah, the communicate new, to me what it means. <laughs> the new aggressively pessimistic. <laughs> 
Inquisition show with Conan Neutron. I would host the fuck out of that show. You, you would. You would <laughs> I'd be great at it. You would make everyone feel just the mood that you were going for and implying in your title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it would it would be as advertised. You would strike sure. the, the intended mood. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, I, I'd have it on in the background while I was playing like Scrambled Friends or something. What's so I become would be the first on the. <laughs> So what's my good friend Whetstone and I are both big proponents and believers. That's what you sharpen a knife with, right? It, a whetstone? Yeah. It has a whetstone. Oh, is that it how it's spelled with the W H E? Yeah, it totally is, yeah. So it's probably just No, like a, that's a wheat stone. <laughs> and it's <laughs> fucking Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Alright. Back defend astrology. Go ahead. Oh really yeah, defend your uh, defend uh why uh defend, defend your why horoscopes are real. <laughs> So basically, every horoscope you've ever seen everywhere is real because of this thing I'm about to say, <laughs> and no one has exploited the concept of of feeling the motions of oh, okay, interstellar really entities uh, right. for profit. Right. Or let's get this on lockdown here. It's good because living in Berkeley, I never hear about it. I, I'd imagine I'm surprised <laughs> that you, as, of all people, being in Berkeley, are not attuned to Mercury retrogrades. But uh, <laughs> due to the orbits of all of the planets mm-hmm. and and their apparent motion. So mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't go backwards. Well, it doesn't motion. go backwards, but it's not from, apparent motion. I mean, there there is actual motion involved. There is actual motion. But <laughs> whether it means anything is the apparent motion is that Mercury is, mo- is moving backwards across the horizon, which happens ah. three to four times a year. So at, the, at different times of the year, for a period for like ten days to two weeks. So in basically. the Middle Ages, when they thought it was like a dragon flying across the sky, and they were like, "Oh, the dragon's flying backwards." That means it's this. Is that like? It's just like that that super cool thing that you just said. Just like that. It's, it's dragons floating yeah, backwards sorry, in the sky. It, it, I thought I was going to get to explain it, but Fantasy's thank bullshit. you for getting to the, the dragons flying across the sky all night. I'm here to help. Of this. Go ahead. Your turn. Okay, finish. Well, it, so it, it looks it, like it's it, going it, back. It creates, well, and it's in the sense of, from our perspective, mm. it is not going backwards, but... It's a major source of gravity that's not that far from us, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. in, in the science sense, it's it's a very unnatural thing mm. because it's it's typically most of the time you're just flowing with it. And for a little while, it's flowing backwards against you. So it, so what's supposed to So why does that matter It makes it difficult to, to articulate yourself clearly to other people. It makes it difficult for the reverse to happen as oh. well. Mm. So basically, you'll bump into more people than usual. You'll be more of a dick about it. Um, oh, I'm glad Steve Albini was coming. Let's see what Steve has to say about this. Steve! Hey. hey. Hey, Steve. Welcome to You Can't Stop the Signal. Oh, thanks for having me. This is Conan. That's, uh... I'm Evan. Hey, what's up? I'm Mouse. Hi. Now, is Mouse the name you're trying to get away from? No, I, well, it's, I don't know if get away from it. Was a, it was given to me when I was young, and, uh... Right. And, yeah, no, I just kind of like, yeah, I'm Jacob. You can call me Jacob. You know the rule for nicknames, right? What's that? If you like your nickname, then it's totally inappropriate for you. And if you don't like it, then it's probably spot on. Because See, somebody else gave it to you. Somebody else like hung it on you. And that's what it was and now born you have out to of. Wear it. Yeah, it was born out of me like it was my distaste made for it made it stick with my friends. And, well, oh, you uh, don't like that? Oh, we're yeah, going to do yeah, it twice exactly, as hard. Yeah, now. exactly. And then and by the time I was in high school, it was just, you know, the name and and then, you know, enough people like, you know, like Conan and Evan have met me through a crowd that just people call me Mouse, you know, so Right. You know, like, I mean, so, all great nicknames are like that. Like Bugsy Siegel hated being called Bugs or Bugsy, but everybody called him Bugs because it was appropriate, you know. 
uh, Babe Ruth hated being called Babe. Really? Hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. Well, how did he? Well, you're, you're, and you're a baseball aficionado types of baseball and things. Do you know how Babe Ruth got his name? I have actually have no idea. Well, yeah, he was a real little kid. He was from a he was from a um, a boys' school, like a an uh, orphans and wayward children school. He was the youngest kid on all the te- on every team that he ever played in. So he was always, you know, the babe ah, okay. of the team. That makes sense. And it just stuck. And he didn't like it when he first started, when people first started using it, but it was appropriate. So they, they hung it on him and that was it, you know, like meatloaf. You know, you think the guy liked being called <laughs> meatloaf, you know, but yeah, it's it. totally appropriate. That would always impress me that that one was just like, oh, you were just rolling with it. I, uh, yeah. I did have a weird uh, existential thing a couple years ago, and that's what, like, and I actually generally introduced myself. Existential? As, really? No, it's just kind of like, the, where I, like, Jacob had no meaning to me, and I like, yeah. and I realized that, you know, it's just like, and it kind of tripped me the fuck out. It was like, whoa, Jacob, who is that guy? Like, but that's me. Right. That's my given name. And so, I, like, and since I had that weird epiphany, kind of, if you will, in my head, I've been introducing myself as Jacob a lot more. But yeah, for these... Well, the, the, the thing you know, that's... The worst is when somebody picks their own nickname. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Like when somebody picks his own <laughs> not, nickname. Not cool at all. Call me That's Commandant. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> That's it's like the worst. I'm the like, fucking... No no, 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 no. Call me Knife. <laughs> really? Knife. You know? I'm lazy. You know, like that. Or, I mean, think about it. Like, think about it. Like, uh, like sports figures that have picked their own nickname. You have, like, the the worst nicknames ever, like prime time, you know, Mr. <laughs> Which was definitely self-chosen. Yeah. Horrible nicknames. But nickname, like you get a nickname like Boob Powell. Come on, that's awesome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Boob. Boob. Boog. Fantastic. Did, were you the one so that what quite... I'm saying is don't fear mouse. Like mouse is probably there for a reason. You shouldn't fear it. No, thank you. I've, well, uh, it's it's crazy because first person to tell me that it's very weird for me to call you Jacob because I've, I've known had, you for so long. Some, yeah, I didn't know what your actual yeah, had, first name was. When for I was years. Uh, back in Alaska this last summer, something like it, one of my old friends saw me introduce myself as Jacob and actually got pretty upset with me for it. It was like, who, what, what, what <laughs> are you wow. doing? What are you doing? You can't. Hey, big like, city. Hey, California. You're like, you're like, when we're putting out our albums, he was like, you can, you have to call it Mouse. I don't know. Why would you ever call it? You know, it's just like. He was, that, like, he was, that he was really adamant about it. You know, it's, it's always, it, it's like, it's sort of reminiscent of like when the teacher is calling roll, you know, and for the first time, you know, like there was this, there was this kid in my year at, in my high school, um, his name was Doobie Welch. Everybody knew Ooh. him as Doobie. Like, I had never heard him addressed as Daniel, except when the teacher was calling roll, you know? Right, right. Like, Daniel Welch. And everybody's like, ooh, Doobie's <laughs> I was actually called Mouse a few times for roll by, by a few teachers throughout my music, or not, uh, my school career. Musical career. <laughs> at Rock and Roll High School. Yeah, at Rock and Roll High School. my musical career. Many teachers. <laughs> many another, teachers. Another rule of thumb, you can never refer to your own music <laughs> as a career. <laughs> really, yeah, I definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little more like a career at Burger King, if you know what it's I'm always, talking about. Uh yeah, well, it's, I mean... With the same kind of advancement opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, with, with a name like Conan, a lot of people think that that's, like, an affectation. It's like, no, I just have very cruel parents who are into Sir Arthur yeah. Conan Doyle. I've and actually course, been there for that, where people are like, really? Conan? Really? That's your name? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's my fucking I'm, name. I'm Fuck actually up. down with parents giving their kids righteous names, you know? Like, there was this, um, this guy that worked with my wife, found out his girlfriend was pregnant, and they were talking about the name, uh, what name, and he was really lobbying for, his, his name is Estrada. 
right? And he was really lobbying for Bullet Estrada. Ooh, wow, that's <laughs> like, nice. How awesome would that be? You go through life Bullet with a name like Estrada. Bullet Estrada, you cannot possibly fail, you know? Yeah, that sounds like a you really can't like an ace bounty hunter, or a, you know. A yeah, and uh, Andy Cohen from uh, Silkworm and Bottle Spit. Yeah. Uh, his son's name is Lycurgus, Ooh. named Ooh. after the king of Sparta. That's pretty wow. awesome. Lycurgus that's a, that's a bold, Cohen. That's a bold one. Got a buddy with a yeah. son named Justice Magnum. That's a pretty good one. Terrific well, name. And Justice we Justice Magnum. Magnum. We both know uh, Justice Israel as yeah, well. I know which Justice is a, Israel. Which is a, yeah, there's a banjo player named Phil Roebuck. Now, Philip Roebuck, that's a great name. But his middle name is Justice, so it's Philip Justice, Justice Roebuck. Roebuck. How awesome is that for a if you if you play the banjo and that's your name, you will never lack a gig. No, you, you really know? won't. Yeah, like much like uh, Whetstone as 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 a first name. <laughs> Whetstone Suzuka. Whetstone Whetstone Suzuka. My my new internet I like friend. It. I like it. <laughs> yeah, Conan just got a spam. Yeah, from, they, from good old Whetstone. Good old Whetstone, and it's it's spelled properly. It's W H E T. You know, it's not like W E T. Not a Whetstone. It's a Whetstone. Which not a wow. That's Quit just me. Yeah, W E T would be making a mockery. Yeah, that. Yeah, I like that. I think that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort of like uh, like normalizing the uh, the summer of love trend of like picking an earth object and naming your kid that, right. you know, like, like the first thing you see leaf or <laughs> meadow or whatever. Yeah. But I, things, I, don't, I don't know. I almost think whetstone has like a, a certain era. Like whetstone's super badass when you're like 40 to like, you know, 67. Yeah. You know, like then you're like, yeah, if you're like, you're you know, like a grizzled detective when you're like, that goes over the line. You know, you're like times. when you're kind of a zitty teenager, whetstone. When you have like so really much, leathery you know? skin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when yeah, you're like, yeah. then, then whetstone's like the most badass name you could have ever. Like a couple of facial yeah. scars. You might totally. have like one, like a bad eye. Sam Elliott could maybe <laughs> play <laughs> whetstone. Yeah, Sam, Sam Elliott would be an excellent whetstone. Yeah. yeah. yeah and every time anybody says anything to you before you, before you reply to him, you spit out the side of your mouth and then say something, you know. Right. Yeah. Just like total affectation and all. Even if you're indoors, it doesn't matter. Noir-esque. You always, always kind of squint, too, when you speak. So, what is this podcast? I know everybody has a podcast now, so it might be rude for me to ask, but what is the, <laughs> okay. what is the function wow. of your podcast? It exists. What is the function? that? You know what, Steve, I ask myself that question every goddamn yeah, day, seriously. That's true. Even when we set it up, you ask it twice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really did. Usually, if there's any kind of technical problems, that's when I really ask the question. Yeah, like, three times. What, what is this? What is are we this doing? What this is um, to answer your question more legitimately, uh, but you know the, the three of us are bandmates, and it's just kind of an extension of like the bullshit, extended, uh, long form inside joke kind of bullshit that just keeps going. Sure. But bringing guests in to it, yes. for the we most part. we kinda... had many people that that would hear our stories and at least told us that they were entertaining and that, that we should quote unquote have our own show. And now, uh, unfortunately, we're just the kind of assholes that decided, okay, we are. But we decided to bring. That's enough validation for us. Yeah, it's like, all right, you got it. No, but sure, we'll talk more. They're definitely. We we, we like to. We, we come at music from our perspective, and with a certain amount, of, I like to think critical thinking, and we just like talking to other people about music who are folks that we admire and uh, folks that are fellow travelers. I think is a douchey term. That also, like a uh, Mike Moraski kind of. Like hit it on the head when he said it. it's kind of like being in a tour van at three a.m. It was kind of like right, which is also kind of what it was born out of you know like right, it was, and, which means absolutely everything is a gay sex joke. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 all, almost really all does. things. It, it like, does get raunchy. It, that is even true. like around about hour seven of the drive from you know from, of the Detroit <laughs> to Cincinnati or whatever it is you know. 
Right. That, that's it's, where it starts to get it, weird. It kind of, exactly. Detroit to Cincinnati probably isn't. It probably isn't seven hours. So we're on the so, we're on the west coast. Example, so our drive right, is let's do make say, us let's say Chicago to Winnipeg. Yeah. Around about hour seven of Chicago there to Winnipeg. Uh, Which a lot of people don't realize on the west coast. I mean, hey, you know, we're we're you know we're Oakland, San Francisco, Portland's ten hours away. Like every every place is far away from where we're at because there's a lot of Steinbeck country in between mm-hmm. for sure. Which we're right, from. Right. Lots of trees and farms. It's beautiful to vacation now. But it's just a you know it's a celebration of the internet. It's music, mirth, and misery. And uh, you know, I was just out in uh, California. I was just in the, in Northern California not that long ago. And I think it's kind of awesome how they have different towns are the something or other capital of the world. You know, Gilroy, the garlic like capital of the world. Yes. Yeah, Gil. And then there's um, whatever the place is. It's the artichoke cat capital of the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's. <laughs> They picked it after Gilroy claimed they, they 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 declared themselves the garlic capital of the world. Yeah, I know it was self proclaimed, but Gilroy was ahead of the curve on self proclaiming <laughs> your own greatness. <laughs> like yeah, like Emperor of San Francisco level of, of I'm gonna Google it right now because it's bugging me. I can't remember what the artichoke capital is. Um but you I were, happen to have my laptop. You were in, you were in Northern California and you were you were I, I was charmed by the fact that by all the water towers, that Castroville, I was going to say Castroville, and I thought, no, that sounds very, very, very much like it's just a neighborhood, you know. Well, that's an, and that's another area that's, a, you know, for, for people not in the area, that's another area cl- just close enough to Gilroy to be a little bit, like, suspect. So it's like, oh, you kind of, okay, you're trying to, you like, just define your right own on thing. This train. Yeah. We're going to Gilroy it up except for artichokes. Yeah, you're the Stone Temple pilots to Gilroy's Pearl Jam. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but there's also like Sorry, the Castro onion Bill. capital and there's like, you know, famous tomatoes and there's all all this stuff like all over. My my family is from the San Joaquin Valley. Is it San Joaquin Valley? Is that where yeah, we're yeah, in yeah. and Fresno and all that is? Yeah, I'm from yeah. Yeah. I'm from Stanislaw. So it's uh one one county over. I'm uh, Central Valley Modesto. Yeah. From yeah. Uh so my my family, my parents are both from there, grew up in Madeira and and we spent a lot of time in, in, there. So was uh, my grandfather owned an olive orchard and grew olives and uh so like there was all like you know vineyards and orchards and stuff is like is a very vivid part of my childhood like spending time with in with my extended family in that part of the world but I was always impressed by how whatever you managed to do in your little town you were super proud of it you know Yeah exactly yeah, like, like a... I mean not right. including things like incarceration and no, well, no, that's no, what I mean, that's what I was like right. that. But. That's what I was about to segue into is that the Modesto, even though it's a home, it's a home of Gallo Winery. There's like almonds, tomatoes, and whatnot. What Modesto is, is mainly known for is the movie American Graffiti and high-profile mm-hmm. serial killers like Lacey and Scott Peterson. That whole nonsense was over there. Gary Condit was eventually cleared of charges, but yeah, that's most people know Modesto from that. And that's fine. That's it, it. Gave me plenty to rebel against. You know, it's 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 that's no cave thing for. Modesto to be known for, but people are very. There's a regional pride in in the small town. Yeah, it's very yeah, just hard workers and doing their. You know, it's like still a lot of farm country out there. You know, and like it's very much that you know the aesthetic where they get up very early and work their ass off all day. Sure. And, you know, is there like a Central Valley music scene? Like, is there like a is there like one idiom that's like really taken over in the the orchard and vineyard country? Well, I will say that when Granddaddy. Was yeah, sort was of at, say, their, like at their ten years ago. Like, there seemed like there was a huge one, not there, a huge one, but it, like it was. There was a lot of bands that sort of sprouted up that had a very granddaddy esque. Uh, you know, the, the band built the spill was very 
influential down there. But it kind of had, like most things, it had more of the surface elements of right what that is rather than like what was really good about it (laughs) right but that that definitely was a thing but i've noticed in general the central valley tends to be about 10 years behind everywhere else i don't know if that's so much true with the internet now these days but i mean there are people just getting into mud honey like around 2000 of like wow really you know do you remember when you like mocked me for liking that band no okay cool i know why we don't talk anymore right on Uh, but I mean, I'm sure that's that's something that's got to be somewhat familiar for you because you uh, you lived in Montana, uh, Missoula yeah. for a long time, right? I mean, that's a beautiful. I country. basically did all my all my childhood stuff there. Like I, you know, my early childhood was spent going back and forth between California and Washington D.C., and then back to California, back to Washington D.C., and then um, sometime by the by the time I was about eight eight or nine, I actually don't honestly remember when, but. By the time I was old enough to start like being an active kid, um, we moved to Montana, and I did basically spent my childhood there, and left from there at eighteen to go to to go to school in, in Chicago. And you've pretty much been to Chicago mainstay ever since, right? Yeah, I've been I've been here ever since. Uh, I honestly can't imagine doing what I do uh, and being anywhere else. You know, like Chicago is just so. Like the the way of doing things here is so integrated into the way I run the studio and the way my band tours and stuff. I I, I just don't I don't know if if I could do it anywhere else. Um, if I weren't running a studio and if I didn't have a band, then I can imagine all kinds of places I'd rather live. You know, I do think Chicago is a great city. The just the the lazy cranky part of me would would rather live in a, a more beautiful place and uh, you know a place where the weather is a, a little bit more conducive to being outside more of the time. Right. You know? Of course, I will say that it's a lot more expensive in some of those places <laughs> to, to live and harder to do things like electrical audio, which, uh, how, how long has the studio been around now? I know you recorded for a long time out of your house, but like, how long has the studio yeah, as an entity been around? The studio proper, um, our first session was in April of 1997. So, However long ago that was, years. yeah, uh, and 16. the but prior to that, I'd had a studio in the basement of a house about a mile from the current location of Electrical. I had a, ba- a studio in the basement of that of a house there for about ten years, and all during that time and prior to that time, I was working at, at you know in studios in an, or in Chicago and elsewhere just as a freelance engineer. So I think. Yeah, I mean the an actual having an actual studio location in Chicago that started when I bought the house on Francisco Street, which is now owned by forum member Scary Bodega of uh, the Wereworm. Awesome. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. Uh, That's awesome. The uh, you know I should I should double check that i think he's in the wereworm i have not seen the wereworm live i might actually have gotten him confused with another forum member uh, now that i mentioned that wereworm also features uh tom stack who makes the uh, great artists really iconic yeah cool looking um guy. let me and i wanted name. to say it was chris fuller and rob seraki as well which is why i wanted to say oh, that okay. no because chris fuller is the is scary bodega um you you don't need uh, to fact check right now. That's a, that's that's. I think we'll. I am now just checking this, and it appears that I'm totally wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> member Scary Bodega is not a member of the Wereworm. I apologize. 
Is it the right. werewolf? You, or is it it, just you, werewolf? you heard it here and heard it refuted first. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's let, let no one. I guess you got you got all these dickheads on the internet looking so <laughs> like, oh nope, he's wrong. I'm gonna email. Yeah. Well, him. we corrected it first. Okay. Can't wait to fight. Pick a fight with it's, Steve. Can't stop the signal. <laughs> Yeah, I apologize. I apologize, Chris Fuller. I I am I am embarrassed that I don't know your band history as well as I thought I did. Yeah, can, can you just up? But anyway, name? Scary Bodega. <laughs> Scary Bodega now has the house, and he's raising a, a lovely family in it. Nice. Um, well, that's cool. One, still know who's he has in there. A lovely and a lovely and whip smart daughter Aww. and a beautiful wife, and they're making very good use of the house. Well, that's um, that's always a nice thing because it's nice to have, you know, people that maybe should be breeding, breeding, rather than just like onward Christian shoulder fuckheads. Constantly. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand what, I understand your perspective and I'm, and I don't like disagreeing with people just reflexively, but people don't necessarily turn out like their parents. So True. I don't particularly care who has a kid as long as a kid turns uh, good, eventually turns out okay. That's true. You know? I was raised by Mormons. I'm good. What? So, what are? What's your perspective on breeding and children and things along those well, lines? Well, I don't. I don't have any kids, and I and it's never been a burning desire of mine to have a kid. Whenever one of my friends has a kid, and uh, I'm always, you know, totally stoked and happy for them. And it seems like an incredibly, it could be an incredibly fulfilling thing to like raise a child and and have a family. That seems like that could be really great. But it's never been an ambition of mine, and I couldn't tell you why. I just, it just, it's never been, I don't, I guess I don't have a really strong biological imperative to do it. And I like having kids around. Like, I like having, I like when, you know, when I'm around my friends and their kids are around, I think kids have a, a nice, goofy perspective on a lot of stuff. Right. Um, and they can, you know, and their their mistakes are charming. <laughs> yeah, <that's all> right. <laughs> um, but you know, they're they're not very smart yet. They don't have they, like they. By, I mean, they're, they can be smart, but they don't know anything. Hey, yet. smart enough, so, Sonny. <laughs> so, like when you when you're having a conversation with a kid, you know the the you're you're not that likely to learn something from the kid, but you're it's very easy to be like charmed or engaged by uh, a kid that's on the ball or smart or funny or whatever. You know, hmm. but I mean, they don't know anything yet, and they and <laughs> right. so it's hard for them <laughs> to. Totally. You know. Well, yeah, it's easy and, to and, not and judge. And they them. shouldn't, you know, you, you shouldn't force your belief system necessarily on them either, and force them to be what you want them to be. Like say, like be in a band, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. not in a band. I mean, your shit sucks. <laughs> which is, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know some kids who came from show business families where their parents were actors and their brothers were actors and they were actors and they turned out fine. And then, you know, there is no shortage of horror stories of kids that came from show business backgrounds that where they yeah. ended up, you know, like dope addled or suicidal or homeless or whatever. Like that. I, I just don't think that there's a formula. I think it boils down to everybody is faking it. Like everybody is winging every aspect of, of, of family life and adulthood. Like there you know, there are, you hear a lot of contradictory advice about how to do things, and I think everybody just sort of has to figure it out as they go along and figure out, you know, and it's the same with any any relationship. If you have a relationship with your kid, you're going to have to take the kid seriously when he says something totally. and, and, you know, have it be a two-way relationship. 
but I don't think that there's a, a, a playbook that you can execute and have a successful kid. That's not, you know, it's not like baking muffins, you know. <laughs> it really isn't. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, like it is an entity all well, of its own. No, you're right. It's you not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we not. all know we all know kids that went through very structured upbringing and had every opportunity and were in all the right schools and had, were surrounded totally. by still role dicks. models and stuff like that. But they ended up, you know, like total dicks, hustlers and dope fiends and criminals. And then we also know I know dudes that essentially were abandoned and raised themselves and became upstanding citizens. You know, it's yeah. not there's literally no correlation between. You know, I mean, the one correlation I think that that you'll find is that if there's uh, enough money in a household to put the kid through school, then he has a shot at higher education. And I think that that's it's always helpful. You know, yeah. a failure of our education system that it's not true for everybody. To ha- you know, it's not true that everybody has a shot at higher education. Well, that's just but, like uh, have you seen those uh, the documentary like the Seven Up Seven Plus Seven Twenty One? Are you familiar with the yeah, documentary yeah, yeah. series? Where and for those that are not aware, of these is a series of documentaries a British filmmaker made following a group of children. And, and, the first uh, one was seven up, and then they did fourteen up, twenty one up. Yeah, yeah, and they, every, they revisit the same children, uh, the same oh, the yeah, same people every totally. every seven years that. or so, yeah. and kind of see where they are in their life. Yeah, that's so you a see, great documentary, actually. You yeah, see yeah. where these, uh, you know, some of the kids are like you know working class kids, and some of them are you know coming from maybe like better off so backgrounds. Like, it's and just man, they're the, being, being primed for whatever. Harder to let your brain just spawn, man. It's so so crazy. Like you know, because you look at them, it's every seven years and looking at them, some like, and you see well, their aspirations. Well, you see that, you like you know, some of them, you know, fall on their face very heroically, yeah. and some of them uh, just kind of are are fade away. Some and the ones you you necessarily think like, oh, they had no ability to uh, move beyond themselves, uh, you know, on paper, but they managed to transcend like where they came from, and they be, you know maybe they became a more critical thinking individual that like gives a flying fuck about the poor, or like maybe they're a poor person that managed to, like. You know, through sheer tenacity and force of will, move themselves. It, it, but it's, it, a fasc- it, it's a fascinating right. documentary and because the, your perceptions, as much as you think that they become settled, are, are not quite as settled as right. you think that they are. And it's some of it's well. a nature versus nurture thing because some things you're like, oh, this 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 kid, he's forget it. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll assume that you're engaging in very spirited and very enlightening conversation about this documentary. But because I'm speaking to you, I'm on a landline, so I'm, I'll assume <laughs> sorry. that my voice is sorry about that. fine. Because you're on an on an iPhone or whatever the hell it is, I I can't really understand what you're saying. I I'm just going to well, you're right. Do it was all the, brilliant. The audio equivalent of nodding and blinking, which is what I used to do in <laughs> church when I didn't understand what the guy was saying. And and you'd be you'd be right on. For that, yes. <laughs> so yeah, all, I mean, the key to getting through church is just stand up whenever everybody else stands up, and sit down when they all sit down, and you'll be fine. Jesus said stand. Jesus said sit. Jesus said kneel. Jesus, Jesus didn't say kneel. <laughs> so, uh, get, getting away from uh, matters of church and, and nature versus nurture, necessarily. So, when you started recording, man, this was something that would like. It w- was this something where you just like recording? Like your friends' bands, like hey, somebody needs to do this. Like this is good music. I want to get this out. Like, was there like more of a like how how did that come to be something that you? I mean, it was a very natural progression when I you know I was in bands, and when you're in a band, you want to make some recording of your time on Earth to so that you can have evidence of it, you know, or like you want to record these songs that you think are so awesome. So <laughs> somebody needs to do that, you know. And, and in, in my band, I just volunteered 
to do it. And in the beginning, when I, the first band I was in, in like 1978 or whenever that was, in, Mo, in Missoula, there was a, a guitar shop called Electronic Sounded Percussion. And that guitar shop had a, um, a deal where you could rent a four track reel to reel recorder plus four microphones and stands for something like $25 a night or something. I can't remember what it was. Hmm. Good value. But it was, yeah, you could rent uh, the gear to record yourself a band demo uh, and then uh, record your demo and bring it back. And, and they were closed on Sundays, uh, but they wouldn't charge you for Sunday. So if you timed it right, you could rent it, you know, rent the gear as they were closing up shop uh, on Friday and then bring it back at, at the end of the day on Monday and you'd only get charged for Saturday and Monday, but you'd actually have it from Friday night through Monday night inclusive, you know? Nice. Uh, so that was a, that was how we, we did it basically was we'd rent a four track machine and then set it up and record ourselves and listen to the results and talk about how awesome we were and smoke weed and then do it all over again. And so that's, that's so how I learned. Never change. Yeah. That's how I learned to, make recordings was just by experimenting with a four track machine and that started in Montana and then it continued when I came to here to go to college and the first couple of bands I was in when I was out here I recorded demos for them and some of those demos got floated around and uh, then I started recording my own stuff as Big Black and some of those tapes got around and then through that you know like your friends will your friends, if you're in a band, all your friends are in bands, you know? Yep. And totally. then your friends <laughs> the will truth. be like, hey, <laughs> you know how to do that demo it's recording thing. Would you them. do a demo for my band? And so then you're recording, suddenly you're recording all your friends' bands as well. And then that just, event, you know, you start out just doing it because you want to participate in the, in the, in the thing. You know, right. you're, Next thing you know, you're, you're all a guy. bunch of comrades and you're all trying to do something. And so, you know, the part that you can play is to help out with recording. And, you know, like if somebody has a basement, he lets every band re rehearse there because that's helping out. And right. if somebody, you know, there might only be one guy in town who has a, a vocal PA. So, you know, that PA is used at every, you know, every show. house show or whatever. <clears throat> well, um, it's kind of, it's a part of a community. You're, you're part of a living thing that changes and grows and, you know, people supporting each yeah. other. And it's, it's, and it starts out with just everybody wanting to do stuff so that they can help everything else along. And then eventually people that aren't part of that Im immediate peer group start approaching you. And then, you know, first they pay, they'll pay your expenses and then they'll buy you dinner. And then eventually they'll start paying you some money. Um, and then gradually over time, it becomes a profession, you know, like I, from, if you, plotted like the time span from when I first made my first demo recording with the band and whenever that was 1978 or so and the you know the time span from that from then until I could quit my day job and just be a recording engineer full time like that was a period of about nine years eight or nine years and I don't think I could have done it any quicker than that so it's a it's a long, gradual process of 
doing something, learning how to do it, becoming part of a community of people, becoming integral to that peer group, becoming valuable enough to that peer group that you're worth spending money on, and then becoming good enough at it that people are just willing to pay you to do it. Like, I would assume it's the same as, like, the way tattoo artists or any other, like, sort of insular community of people get along and, and go from being an enthusiast to a hobbyist to a serious, like, sort of... Artisan cheeses, who knows? I mean, it's, you know... Yeah, like, whatever it is. Like, you, you, you go through all the stages, and eventually you wake up one morning and you realize that that's what you do for a living, you know? Right. Hmm. Well, and that's, uh, you, you know, it, it's you hit on an important thing that I think a lot of people... Because the nature of recording itself has changed. It's become so easy with, with technology and digital recording and whatnot to just anybody can, you know, push, install the software and push the button and, uh, you know, at least record something that's, like, passively listenable, if, if not maybe having, like, the finer elements of what makes good recordings recordings. But what you're talking about is, is learning a craft. It, it, it's it's the same thing as, like, exactly. being a blacksmith or... <laughs> yeah, no, like, once you spend the time and get good at it, like, you know... Right. Yeah, exactly like you say, one day you wake up and, hey, this is my profession, like this... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are some there are some aspects of a sort of a trade to it, like... If you go into a kitchen, you'll see that basically in every kitchen, they cook pasta the same way, or they make risotto the same way, or they, like, finish their steaks the same way. Like, every decent kitchen will have a a sort of, you know, there there is a sort of a protocol that has developed over time that's a successful way to execute certain things, and... And that's true in carpentry. Like, you know, there is a particular way to chop a mortise that every carpenter uses, that every cabinet maker uses. There's a particular way to set a door that every decent, you know, finished carpenter does, uses, right? That's not exactly true in recording because the, like, the, the kind of problems that I have to solve working with primarily live band music those are different problems than someone who's primarily doing location orchestra recording or someone sure. who's doing like uh synthesized pop music production or someone who's doing like hip hop stuff like the problems that they need to solve are going to be different than the problems I need to solve and so each kind of client base defines its own craft or its own like guild i suppose but i mean if you run if you if you made a list of the top 20 thrash black and death metal recording guys if you had that those guys that have the most experience in that that idiom you'll find certain things that they do have just naturally evolved to be because they were uh, consistent sort of across the board because they solve a problem that's that's that is unique to that idiom right and the same with like uh you know uh, acoustic jazz music like pretty much everybody agrees that the blue note records uh the the jersey new jersey blue note records are like the best sounding acoustic sure. jazz ensemble records right great records and, yeah and so that's an that's an aesthetic that uh, almost everybody that works in that idiom aspires to. And so there are techniques that develop that get them closer and closer to that aesthetic. And, uh, so if you, if, again, if you took like the top 20 guys that have worked in that idiom 
I'm sure that they would have a lot, of, make a lot of similar technical choices. They would do a lot of, you know, a lot of rudimentary stuff like placement of musicians in a room, um, volumetric stuff about who's going to be the loudest in a balance and all that kind of stuff. That stuff all works itself out and becomes part of the idiom that they're working in. I mean, uh, the majority of the records that I've done have been rock music, but um, I've had to adapt to an enormous different breadth of different kinds of music. So I, I've, I've, it's taken me a long time, you know, to have a broad enough vocabulary where I, I feel like I'm now like essentially competent with whatever comes in the door. Like I just did a session that was a bone simple three piece rock band. Uh, sort of psychedelic, jammy, hard rock music. Um, the session that I did after that was a much more abstract, like uh, post-punk hard rock type music that incorporated samples and uh, saxophone, like sometimes free and sometimes composed saxophone stuff. So there I had to blend acoustic and electric instruments and the playing dynamic was quite a bit different and and the performance dynamic was different and you know the, a lot of the songs were fairly tightly composed as opposed to being improvisational you know and then tomorrow I start a session with a band that's a, a big uh, five or six piece band with a horn section and piano player and a rhythm section and a and a vocalist and they they're, they want to try to perform their album live like essentially mm-hmm. do the thing as if it as if they were on stage um and i have to accommodate that so like there's a lot of there are a lot of different sub genres and a lot of different like skill sets that you need to develop if you're going to make yourself available to literally anybody that calls which is what i do well and i have a and, question for, for that band is there a guy that just dances is that a thing? I mean, there should be, right? Seriously, I mean. And how do you, as as the engineer, capture that? You know, how do you... Like, how do you mic those tap shoes? <laughs> I mean, is it, you, know, is it... you know that guy Bez from Happy Mondays? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, I don't know what... what I, I, that guy, I, I got the impression that that guy was at the recording sessions, but I don't know what he did. <laughs> you know, maybe he was just like the... Maybe it was just the atmosphere. He was know. their cheerleader. He, he was their spirit animal, though. Like, that guy was... Yeah. <laughs> A character. I'll admit to being not very familiar with their music, apart from that. That's fine. One thing that I hate, that one song that was everywhere that I hated. <laughs> well, but it, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, and and that's that you know I'm sure you get like a wide swath of different types of bands, you know, s- some of which maybe that some of these bands that come to you are not even necessarily bands per se or like maybe they have mm-hmm. the idea of what they want to be did, did you see like what change did you see after you see it recorded in utero and like you know did, did, did you get a lot of because I, we, we were reminiscing about some terrible moments of the 90s earlier in the show uh, and uh, some nirvana facilitated major label records that were not very profitable sure right uh-huh. and, 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 to, and to be clear i i I think that's a fantastic fucking record. I think that's their best record for sure. And I think one of the reasons why is because you kind of, because you do a thing where you kind of capture the band being what they are very well. And well, I don't think I should get very much credit for that. I mean, that the, their approach to that record and their execution of that record was theirs. You know, that like they decided they wanted to make a record that was really quite brutish and uh, like they didn't, they wanted to make a record that was sort of, 
keyed into the aesthetic of like disease and sickness and uh, discomfort that was on, you know, at the front and center of Kurt's mind. Like all of the aesthetics on that record belong to the band. They own them a hundred percent. And I agree that I think they made a great record, but I, I don't know that I deserve that much credit for it. Like I, I, and I feel that way about most of the records that I've worked on that were really good. Now there's some records that I've worked on that weren't that good where I feel like they would have been a lot worse if it wasn't for my involvement. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fair but, assessment. I mean, yeah, let's but be clear. On, on, on balance, when you take, like, if you think, if you set, if you think of that as like a, an achievement, like I took a piece of shit and I made it mediocre, you know, yeah, like totally. that's not, you can like, only polish a turd so much. The quantitative improvement there might have been, you know, like the, the quantitative improvement might have been enormous, right? And in some cases, I feel like I have helped out a lot. But, you know, you're still, you, you know, you're still only getting to the warning track there, you yeah, know? Totally. <laughs> so, like, I feel like, but anytime a band hits it out of the park, that's all them, you know? They, and I feel like that's a great record. I, I suppose I could have been an obstacle and I could have fucked it up along the way. I didn't. And I, and I guess maybe that's a plus, but, um, I really, I genuinely don't think that I have that much to do with the success of a band like Nirvana. You know, the biggest band in the world yeah, they, making a distinct, very distinct record. Yeah. You know, it would be pretty presumptuous of me to think that I had anything to do with it. Yeah, they were already there. They, they, yeah, they had a thing that they were trying. To, I mean, that, that's yeah, that's. That, I think that's that's very. But they did go to you, and you wrote the very candid letter that recently became public to, as to part them. of this reissue. Yeah. That that kind of the term that I like to use in this sort of situation is fuckery. Uh, the, okay. The, the pressure points are people trying to make money. People that are trying to make money and they are going to try to pressure the band to do what they want them to do. And there were certain, a couple of decisions that were made. I still think it's a fine record in its original form, but it's kind of interesting to me that these, uh, this reissue that, you know, you, you had some involvement with, with doing mm. kind of presents a different facet of, of this album that I think is really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 new the brand new remix of the album in, in all honesty is not it's not intended to be like uh, a superlative version of the record it was intended by Chris to be a kind of an experiment um, to see if there were interesting things that were not done in the original version of the record that would be interesting to listen to for their own sake right. Nobody, not he, not I, not anybody involved in the reissue, thinks that the 2013 version of it is necessarily the definitive one. It's just that right. it's 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 like you know another edition that has some different areas accented, highlighted, whatever, slight some different editorial choices being made. It's coming out from it, 20 years later, and with the perspective of. of you know, having to sit with the legacy and like, oh, yeah. we're not in the same emotional time. place yeah. in the same, you know, we're, we're different people now than we are. Right. And now, it, uh, the, the, I, the, the thing is that that, that new version of it uh, has its merits and I, I'm glad I got asked to do it and it was, a, you know, I, and I, I like working on it and everything. To me, the most important part of the 20th anniversary reissue was the way that we were able to take really careful care of the reissue of the original master from the original sessions as it was done and make the best possible 
home listening version of that. You know, right, right. the vinyl edition of that is literally as good as I know how to make records from a manufact from a mastering, cutting, manufacturing standpoint. I don't know how to do any better than that, right? And I'm not saying that I that it was at all souped up. I'm just saying that if every record was made that way, you'd have a better idea what was going through the minds of all the musicians that make those records. Right, because you have you have a the resources, but you don't necessarily have like the pressure of compromise and like whatever the fad of that day happens to be. To no, it needs to you know be equivalent. Yeah, I mean there are a million decisions that are made in a corporate command chain. And that was all cut entirely out for the 20th anniversary reissue. They just said to the band, make the record, you know, make this edition of the record the way you want. And I suggested that we do a really faithful, all analog master, cut it direct to copper, uh, do a double 12 inch 45 if we can, you know, like go all out for the vinyl edition and just make it sound as good as it possibly can. And I think the results are, are clearly worth it. But that's the kind of indulgence that have just, if it were just a production record, like a normal, regular, everyday record, they wouldn't have been able to go through that kind, to, to that kind of expense because it, it would have made the costs, like the retail cost of a regular commercial edition just prohibitively expensive. So they wouldn't do it. Right. Um, but, you know, now that the record has proven itself and any extra money that they make by selling this edition is, you know, genuinely gravy, right? Uh, then they can, you know, money is, is essentially not an obstacle anymore. So that's, so all bets are that's what I, you know, that's the part of the process that I was happiest with and proud of, most proud of was that we were able to do a really careful master, really high quality production, really high quality manufacturing, buying a record that's made as well as, as records can be made, you know? Which is, I mean, hey, that's that's a hell of a goal. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm, all, I'm all for it. <laughs> You'd like the to thing, think it'd be like that thing. all the time, but there's many SST spot records that prove otherwise. That right. <laughs> well, the ironic no thing spot. is that now it it used to be when you like in the 80s or 90s when you're trying to make, press up a record, like record labels were kind of vinyl was tried, kind of treated as a sort of an art is sort of like an appendage, you know, like right. um, you know, this is something like. Totally marginal thing. It, they have to sell it for a relatively low list price. The profit margin is minuscule compared with a CD. Uh, you know, they were trying to essentially trying to make it an extinct format. So, and the pressing plants were always backed up with these massive orders from big record labels, and um, you ended up having to make um, uh, production masters rather than mastering from the original master tapes and. Uh, the ironic thing is that now any record that's made by any indie band anywhere has a cleaner production chain and potentially better sound quality than, than the very point. biggest names during the heyday of the vinyl era, you know? Sure. And because I mean, it's now totally pro forma to master from the original masters and to use first generation metalwork to stamp the records and stuff like that. That's totally standard now because the press runs are so small and it's relatively easy to get in, get time on a on a press, you know. And so uh, the the ironic thing is that fewer records are being pressed per title now, but more titles are being pressed, and they're being pressed at much better quality. Which is interesting, and that provides a you know for the, the listening or potential listening audience out there provides yeah, it's a helped for the the vinyl comeback that we're seeing. 
you know, hope that, you know. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I know a lot of people think of it as a novelty, and I'm, and I'm sure some people, uh, some people are treating it as a novelty for themselves, but uh, I think there will always be a, an audience for high quality vinyl records. Absolutely. There are always yes. going to be people who want to buy the record in a store and bring it home and play it on a, on a nice hi fi. Oh, yeah. And so for that audience, <laughs> I think there will always be somebody willing to make vinyl records. Now, that, that's, not going to be a sustainably large mainstream audience, but it should be. But damn it's it. going to be an audience, you know. It is, and it's going to be like it's going to be at the boutique level that yeah. is people that care about shit like that. And I, you I know, mean, instead of instead of it, you know, going to the record store and buying an album for nine ninety nine or whatever they used to cost, it's you know people are going to be buying records that cost twenty five thirty dollars. And they're going to be beautiful and heavyweight and sound awesome, and they're they're going to last a lifetime. You know, it's going to be something that, that you know, like a perfect example. Just, the, the 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 new Nonagon record. Uh, you know, I pick totally. that pick that up today, and it yeah, has just like about a, to bring that up. Like, and even you know, our our friends' bands. You know, like they're they're actually like really print. beautiful and heavy vinyl, and they're actually still only like there's a shark serving a subpoena in the cover. You know, it's great. They're not a big band trying to. The, yeah, it, but it's ability, it's yeah. we live They're we live in an era. That, listen to it. Yet. Yeah, that, that's that's a thing that they're able to put forth that artistic vision and make this record of note in a way that, as you mentioned, that you know maybe Grand Funk Railroad necessarily didn't put that level of thought into it. Like I don't know from Grand Funk Railroad. Mm, it's an artistic concept. I mean, the shirtless vocals of Mark Farner, okay, but right. <laughs> the bong rattling bass of uh, who is it? Mel Shocker. Right. Well, I mean the. Grand Funk made some great rock music, and some of those records are great records. Uh, but I have no way to judge the sound quality of them relative to the original master tapes, because I've never heard the original master tapes. I have heard the original master tapes of quite a few records that I've worked on, uh, obviously. Right, and, of course, yeah. Uh, comparing those with the, the released edition, it, I know for a fact that people are getting better quality records made now than they were in the 80s or 90s. It's just, it's un- indisputable. The mastering chains are simpler. The, you know, the metalwork is being done more efficiently and more in a more timely fashion. The record pressing is now considered an art rather than a commodity, and yeah, it's so it's right. being done much more carefully. Yeah, you, yeah was, I'm, a, I'm actually... A- collector of the vinyl as i've referenced many times on our podcast um and and uh, yeah i have a lot of old vinyl and and new vinyl and and it's yeah there's you get a lot of old you rarely see a new vinyl that's that just super wobbly like like yeah they're making like specious quality yeah yeah, the super you know that sounds super tinny and bad you know like the all the vinyl you buy from bands now even seven inches you know like it's at least 150 gram it's like nice and thick and yeah usually screen printed like inner sleeves and stuff yeah well, it's and nice. and that's one of the reasons why you had almost your own spinoff podcast with uh, So Rough and Mobits a few episodes ago, <laughs> where you so. talked about uh, you Just know, classic vinyl. psychedelic and uh, Brian vinyl. Eno records. And but that's the thing is that, that it, I think it's classic interesting. Vinyl that, with Mouse and So Red. <laughs> I'd listen to that show. I wouldn't produce it or edit it, but I would listen to it. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting though that you have a certain amount of. You know, there's this vinyl, like, some people use fetishism, but I think it's just, you know, it's making this archival format, and I think that that's important. But there's also, at the same time, there's this open-up, wide-open frontier of the internet that uh, yeah. allows instant availability for fucking anybody. Like, anyone... Yeah. which is awesome. 
any swinging dick coming in the door can fucking record some shit and put it out there and some kid in Macedonia or Japan can listen to it and it's fucking immediately available. Yeah, I think that's an incredible development. That's the sort of thing, like, if you wrote it down on a piece of paper and (laughs) asked asked anybody, like, 50 years ago, would you be into this thing that allowed anybody in the world to hear your band's music instantly for free? Everybody everybody would say, oh, shit, yes, that sounds great, you know? And this is coming from an era where, you know, bands would have otherwise had to have paid for promo and publicity and radio servicing and all that sort to try to get people interested in their music. Whereas now the music does all the work all by itself and the internet does all this promotional work for free. You know, it's automatic. Every band automatically has access to the entire world. And it's, it's just such an incredible development. Um, you know, it's odd that the mainstream music industry and some, elements of it are seeing it as just like a universally negative thing because it doesn't make them money instantly. You know, (laughs) they're they're you know, they're, there's this bizarre notion of markets as though, you know, as though markets matter at all when, with respect to aesthetics or affairs of, of emotional importance like that, you know, you know, like, well, why would anyone be in a band if they can't make money from selling records? Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, well, and, and then I don't refer- know. Yeah. And, you know, and, go to any, go to any like family reunion and you'll hear people singing and nobody's paying them to do it, you know? Well, and that's the same thing that we talked to in an earlier episode of Sorab about, about the idea of like when you're, you're aging and like you're getting older, but you're still in a rock band, explaining that in context to people that don't necessarily have that can, language to can understand. Be it can be difficult. Yeah, can be, yeah. Because they don't do like, well, are you famous? I'm like, no, I'm not. Fucking no. Yeah, like, my it's, brother-in-law, anytime I talk to him on the weekend, he's just like, well, I figured you'd be gigging this weekend. It's like, no, nah, it's not like, it, like, it's, <laughs> it's not like I'm in some band in like the 20s and we're just, you know, playing out on the sound. Every, you know, like, yeah, yeah, Cab Calloway. Yeah, huh? it's, yeah, it's, no, it's. Man, <laughs> don't rag on Cab. I, I love Cab Calloway, but it's, 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 it's who doesn't yeah, love yeah. Cab Calloway? We're talking, that's, that shit's almost a hundred years ago now, though. You it's know what true. I mean? Cab like, Cal- man, that motherfucker got so much pussy. <laughs> you got that right. Totally. Totally. Who did You know, all of, like, there, have you ever seen those short films? Those, like, all these really great, like, one reelers with Cab Calloway where he's always getting, like, chased down a fire escape by the husband of the lady he's been with or whatever it's like he's a filthy filthy motherfucker that guy no and it's like that was risque at the time but if you look at it now it's like how the fuck did they get a fucking awake with this like how was this a thing yeah. that yeah this astounding well in the same yeah. token like i think there's there's a certain you know corollary of, of that like the ostentatious like larger than life character that has moved forward all throughout time you know there's there's, there's folks like you know like your james brown as a for instance, who definitely, who unfortunately, in the later years, he kind of like lived a little bit of the legend a little bit too hard, for sure. But it's interesting to see that corollary as it's moved along and what celebrity. I'd say has he was a dick become. throughout life. Yeah. Well, he was. Yeah, he was a he was a criminal. He was he was banned from ever playing in his home county for like a astounding amount of time, like, like thirty Kinda years. Showbiz. Something something along those lines. But and a notorious dick, and we 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 love on this show. We reference often, as we do in real life, uh, his his method of fining his band members for fucking up. That he'd dance over to right. them and do like you know ten, 
20, 20. 30, $40. That's what you're going to lose from your pay. Ooh, that's 30. This classic dick move. Like, <laughs> like seriously, oh, classic dick move. And, it, you know, and he would find his backing fingers if they weren't blowing him, you know? It's like, <laughs> uh, I mean, he was a super creepy dude. Made made some amazing music, had a really cracked band, but he was a real prick. I mean, there are a lot of guys like that. Jerry Lee was supposedly very much the same kind of character. Buddy Rich. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Jerry, yeah, and exactly. Buddy Rich, there's, you know, the, the classic okay. uh, recordings of, of yeah. him just being a fucking asshole to everybody. And that's like, for the, it must be thousands, right, of records that you've made with, with different bands. That there has to have been some notorious pricks. You know, it's weird. Uh, I actually haven't really, haven't really had to suffer too many real dicks, you know? Like, every now and again, like, somebody will get slightly prima donna-ish about something, but it's really, it's actually, it's actually pretty rare, you know? Like, the public perception of it is, is skewed by the, you know, the kind of outlier cases that we've been talking about, like guys that are, that are just genuine assholes about everything. And there, but there, there aren't really that many of them, and especially, you know, in the rock band world, like just pe- people just won't put up with your shit if you're if if you behave like that. Just nobody has any reason to indulge you. Right. It's not like it's not like it's the only gig anybody can get. It's not like you're anybody's livelihood. You know. <laughs> it, so it's pretty rare. Honestly. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, and, know, that, and just, that's and, that, and that's something that you've hit upon many times before. That you've talked about the the idea that you know if you're a truly creative entity that uh, a very valid way of, of going about that creative entity is is you don't make that your vocation you make that the thing you do that's expression of that art and you keep those things well yeah I mean, you, you just can't count on it like sometimes you can make a living off of something that, off of what you're doing that you you know that's your aesthetic pursuit or whatever like you can you can sometimes make enough money doing that to make a living but not always and counting on it i think is really problematic you know, yeah. I mean, I've used this metaphor before, but I I think it's pretty apt, so I'm going to use it again. And that is that, like, there are things that are worth doing for their own sake, things like ballroom dancing or playing cards or bowling or ice skating or whatever. Those are things that people do because they want to do them and they're rewarding, right? Mm-hmm. A very small number of people can do those things professionally. Right. And there's a certain if, amount that can do it, and yeah, most most are not going to be able to do that. And whether you can do it, you know, as a profession or not, that doesn't make it any less rewarding to do it for its own sake, you know. And that that's the thing that I think is kind of baffling about all these discussions of. I mean, there's a, there's this nexus of the intellectual property discussion and the uh, and the discussion of the value of art and. Um, on on one hand, people are saying that as a society, we're devaluing art by making it ubiquitous and making it less expensive to acquire. You know, I see it from the opposite perspective. I see, I see it as making it more valuable to the culture by democratizing it and making it more likely that more people will get involved in it as a pastime or as a as an, a pursuit. Yeah, making and, it a part of the like your actual culture instead of a vocation. You know, making it. Yeah, you know, it's make, not this. It's not like, you know, there are no nobody goes through the want ads and sees 
uh, you know, if there are any positions for lead singer, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it, it's like some know. people do. But well, yeah. maybe in LA yeah. they do. I don't know, but I can't speak to that. <laughs> yeah, just got to town. Got to hit pick up the newspapers and see if there's any drumming that I can do. You know, like this, that just doesn't it doesn't happen. People play music because it's rewarding to them to play music, and. Yeah, you get the, the secret time. language of being in a band too. That's something that yeah, uh, you know we yeah. we try to we try to touch on that on this show and like what that means and like what the, the greater part of that is. It's like a, it's, it's a kind of something that you don't really get to. You don't necessarily if you've never done it, you don't necessarily know what that is, which doesn't make it you know more valid to people outside of it. But it's it, it, it's a secret. Fa- it's like a family, but it's different. Yeah, I mean it's a like any common experience. Like I'm sure there. Eagle Scouts can say things to other Eagle Scouts that right. only they will understand. Sure. But you know, it's it's you know, it's very much like that. But I guess my my point in the in this my point, if I have a point, is that you don't it have doesn't to. De- it's okay. It doesn't devalue music or art or any kind of culture to say that you know less of it is going to be commercial and more of it is going to be personal from now on, and that's sort of the way it's transpiring. Right, like that's and, a, like that's not like a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> the, I don't think the commercial that, elements being removed, like that's not like a terrible thing. You know, and the the sort of capitalist market mentality argument is that people won't do it if they're not paid to do it. And you know, there are any number of things that people do all the time. That they, you have to, you know, you have to like argue with them to stop doing things you it know makes, it makes that, sense for that mentality though you know like they don't you know like they like then just like what we're saying like it's not that they don't understand the language you know like so like you know th- their language is mar- is markets you know and like and knowing numbers and knowing how to like oh let's manipulate this so we can well, synergize our solutions well, maybe if i oh let's see if i can you know maybe if i can do this you know like yes yeah, all that kind of bullshit and they don't understand like that'd be cool like, short no, if like, nearer the mic by the way oh sorry i can talk into the well, mic from the, now on yeah, I mean, and if they were right, then we would see a precipitous decline in the number of bands and the amount of music being made. Right, and sure. I think everyone not, would agree not, that not we are happening. not seeing not that. Not is what is happening at all. Like, I have a kind of a random question, like, uh, you know, because uh, totally off topic, like of what we're talking about, it has to do with the DIY home recording, like, uh, right, um, like. With its rise and like you know that the, everyone's got a home studio, now. have you have you noticed that people actually understand what they're doing a little bit more when they come into the studio, or is it like more uh, is well, it more fucking it up, like kind of like oh no, you're actually wrong. I know, like at home, like, <laughs> no, well, no, you're actually uh, wrong. No, like actually, like, <laughs> well, that's not what I do on this here machine. Given that there isn't any one, you know, sort of cardinal right way to yeah, do totally, things totally. in the studio. Um, what's awesome about the home recording? culture is that every band that comes into the studio now has had some experience recording, even if it's just, you know, using an iPhone to record a rehearsal or something like that. Whatever it is, like every band that comes in the studio now has had the experience of recording themselves and playing that's, themselves that back be, at yeah, least that can a little be, bit. Yeah, that can be a real you know? thing where like the mics turn on and that like that actually makes you play a little different. You're like, oh, I'm being recorded now. Like, and yeah, I guess getting that out. And of it way. used to be, it used to be rare for a band to have any recorded evidence of themselves. Like it was a, it was a, a real event when a band would get a recording made. You know, yeah, some there were a lot of bands never that, got recorded at all. Exactly. Yeah, there were a lot of bands that went through their entire career with no recorded evidence. And and that doesn't happen anymore. I think that from a cultural standpoint, I think that's good. From um, the, 
a practical standpoint of like fans <laughs> being like more capable to, of pulling it off in the studio, I think that's good. Um, the only, in fact, the only like genuinely bad thing about it is that it has depressed studio prices to the point where it becomes very difficult to make a living right. running a recording studio. Like a, running a professional recording studio is a very expensive enterprise. Um, just in terms of, uh, you know, staffing and equipment and all the, all the shit that you have to have working right in order to have a, a proper recording environment. Um, right. all that shit's expensive and it's getting more expensive over time. But the, the prices that people are willing to pay for time in a recording studio are, are going, is going down. Um, you know, so the, the studio, studio income over time, not just income on an hourly basis, but a, like overall income is actually going down. And um, it takes um, a sort of a commitment to it as a, uh, as a, a, a thing that you want to do in order to stay in the business. Because it, as a business, it's a terrible fucking business. Like you can't, it's really, really hard to make a living as a recording right, sure. engineer or running a studio. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who <laughs> I don't know, know if that's ever changed the industry too. Right. Like. <laughs> um, so that's the only bad thing that's actually transpired is that it's made it harder for people like me to earn a living. Now, the difference between the way I look at it and the way that, say, the RIAA looks at it, like the uh, or not RIAA, but um, is it are the RIAA? Are they the people who do the Grammys? I forget. Uh, ooh, who does control the Grammys? That's um, yeah, recording industry. Yeah, yeah. that is RIAA. Yeah, 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 I believe so. Yeah. NARIS is what I'm thinking of, National Academy of Recording Arts and Science. That's what I'm thinking of, NARIS. Like, the difference between the way I look at it and the way NARIS looks at it is that NARIS looks at it as if things have changed and we're making less money, then that is a moral failure, you know? Someone is breaking the rules somehow, and that that is criminal, right? I don't see that. I just see that, I just see that as like a general cultural shift that changes the behavior of everybody involved, and, you know, it's my job to adapt. If And if I can't adapt, well, then I deserve to go broke, you know? We had Mark Trombino on recently. He's selling donuts now. Yeah, that is that is a real thing. Mark Trombino, uh, who was uh, did did some serious recording back in the day. He's uh, he actually opened up a donut shop in well, uh, well, in L.A. and maybe, you know with, with the sort of like I don't know I don't know how he I don't know how his donuts are, but you know he he always had business as a recording guy. Well, yeah, we're, we're looking forward not so much though these days. We're, yeah. yeah, we're looking forward to visiting to try these donuts because they they sound they have audacious names. They're very much like the Kumas, like you know the the play on words with the band name. They have the rights of sprinkles donut. There's a chocolate from the crypt, you know, like those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. But by all accounts, from the the culinary world. They're, they're these are they're probably pretty bougie donuts. Bougie artisan donuts, yes, and and that's. But that that's a thing that you know it, it it's it, it's this change has hit different people in different ways, and that's something that's it's you know I think that's interesting to like it's because I mean it, you think about like you know when technology comes through and there's things that happen and there's these wild advances but you don't necessarily always think of the repercussions like the ripple effects the waves like how that affects everything else and, and mm-hmm. I think and we're in a very there, there usually is no way to as well you know like it's, you know well how are you going to plan it? for it exactly there's no way to predict it. you know where what is this like what are the small effects we have no hoverboards we have no flying cars Which but who bullshit. could have predicted the smartphone who could have predicted the internet being 
what the internet is now. We could not have predicted. Yeah, I mean, think about this. There's a thing in almost everybody's pocket now that can look up almost any known fact in the academic universe. Like, literally, there's a thing in the pocket of every person in North America that they can just pull out and with their thumb... They can call up any known fact. Even right. on the now old ones, the people of, that are if like. If you describe that machine to somebody. Socrates. Oh, and also they can order a pizza on it. You know? right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and if, if you described that machine to somebody 100 years ago, they would think that you were out of your fucking mind. Yeah, like, like there's, the, there's no way. Like The knowledge of the world in everybody's pocket. Well, that's a utopia. Clearly, you can have no problems then. (laughs) It's going to solve everything. (laughs) Except for they didn't realize that it would largely be used for bullshit and flippancy. And that, you know, like, like, there is something that I worry about. Memes and porn. Exactly, memes and porn. Uh, People want to get off. Fuck it. Let them. But I think there is a certain amount of... uh, that becomes a reliance if it's artificial memory. It's 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 the end of memory. Like you have like you know this memory that's that you can call up everything that's come before to you. You can call up at a moment's notice. Well, at what point do you? But just, you don't need to know any. Of you it. don't need to know any of it. You can just be the guy with the thing that you you push the stuff and it it, it goes and and, and that's and you that's you don't have to own feeling. your own knowledge. You know, like there's no 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 sense in owning knowledge now. Like my machine does. Well, and that's part of you know cultural aspect of putting a de-emphasis on critical thinking and whatnot, and that's... We could have to get another show almost, about that. I, but. I would still almost argue that it makes our society smarter, like having having the you, smartphone and being able to look up your random facts. It's you pretty will, fucking incredible. Well, maybe more trivial. Like we, under, we know more trivial how people now. retain information. Right, exactly. And it's it, it, it's an advancement that could not have been predicted way back when. And, that, you know, as you said, you, know, you show this to Plato, you show this to Socrates... And they they would be astounded. Like, like you said, obviously you live in a utopian society. There must be no war. There must be no you know, must be people just no, thinking, come up with advanced war. ideas. Like oh right. you have How no idea. How could anybody ever be wrong about something? Let, you know? Let me show you this meme about the Kardashians, you know. <laughs> it's it, it's a wild it's a wild scene. It's it, it's a crazy world that we live in now and it it's rapidly changing. I think causality itself is actually gonna become a an outmoded concept, which bums me out to a certain degree. Everything's like constantly present tense, and that's that's another show. <laughs> I mean, what, that's true. Everything that you, I haven't really caught everything that you've said in the last couple of minutes, but what I have heard sounded like titles to Marshall McLuhan essays. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be dead on for that. Uh, a lot of highbrow grandstanding over here. There is. It's a lot of roll. good stuff. That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> as a segue that that probably leaves much to be desired. You guys are high as kites right now, aren't you? Uh, yeah. No. I don't. I don't smoke pot at all. <laughs> I mean, the era of over-the-counter weed has not been kind to our generation. <laughs> I'm like this naturally, man. Come on. <laughs> all right. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, shellac and 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 okay, as as, as a band and the way you guys operate the way that you do, which. Kind of has, uh, you know, you have these sort of like tactical strikes almost of, of places that you, you go, that you go uh-huh. to play and do things, and you kind of keep things fresh by you. It's not a constant part of everyone's lives, right? Right. I mean, I think I believe Todd even lives in uh, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, I mean, we, it's it's physically impossible for us to be an everyday band because we don't live all live in the same city. Our drummer lives in Minneapolis. Bob and I live in Chicago, but I also feel like. Um, I feel like that's been a really good thing in terms of the 
like the longevity of the band and our our satisfaction with each other and with the records that we've made and the the touring that we get to do because it's episodic rather than constant when we do it it's special and and it means a lot to us it's like you know my favorite thing to do ever is to play music with Bob and Todd um and i'm you know i i don't know this for sure because we've never tried it but i can only presume that if if we had to do it every day that if it was an obligation for us to be in this band rather than um you know like a, a break from our everyday existence that eventually we would come to resent it in the way that everybody eventually comes to resent his wife and his job you know like you can have a great wife and a great job but there's sometimes where you're just f- totally fucking through with their shit you know familiarity and, breeds contempt and uh you know if shellac's very relaxed pace of work has given us anything it's given us the sort of the comfort of distance from each other which has engendered the longevity of the band yeah like it's just made the time together that more you know that more good and precious you make I, it count way, for know, more like, yeah exactly it's yeah i mean i never when we're doing stuff with the band i like i never feel ever like it's an obligation like oh god we have to go do this show you know like that kind of thing that just literally never those sorts of concerns just that just it never crosses my mind that what what i'm doing is an obligation it's always an opportunity like oh great we get to play this show oh great we get to make another right. record you know and uh i think if we tried to make the band more of a full-time enterprise eventually we would run into some of these things where we would be doing them we'd be phoning in some shows and we would be you know doing some lackluster recordings just to satisfy yeah, yeah. a contract or some expectations totally be, or definitely whatever. Definitely be diminishing, diminishing returns on, you know, after Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that one of the reasons that the band has survived as long as it has is because we, we have never made any demands of it. We have never put any, um, you know, we've never expected the band to carry us through life as a, as a profession. We've always, expected that we would have to support the band and that that you know it's a it's a great opportunity or it's a great um privilege to be able to play music with your friends and damn right um so we get that privilege you know and i think we're all all of us are are really conscious of, of that rather than feeling like it's any kind of a, um, you know, a, yeah, yeah, a job not, or anything. Like, any like, like you say, it's not an obligation. It's something you everybody can come to naturally. It's something you, like you say, you get to do it. You know, like you get to shit. Like, yeah, we get to make these strategic strikes. Hey, you guys, you guys feel like going out and playing in California, you know, a couple months? Hell, shit, let's do it. You know, like it's, it's, it gets to be fun. You know, like it's right because it's, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not, like you say, you're not looking at it. It's pretty nice. Nice place to be. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, I, I, there, I've, I can understand, like, some people seeing it from the perspective that, you know, like, if you're not doing it full-time every day, well, then you're not taking it seriously. I can understand somebody thinking in that way. I don't think in that way, but I can I understand that mentality, and uh, I can understand why why somebody might react to the notion of a part-time 
expand existence that way. Um, but, you know, I can't conceive of myself being in a band in any other way. Since the first band I've ever been in, this is that's how I've always perceived my, you know, my relationship to music has always been like that, like something that I get to do once in a while. Would you would you say to, it was a uh, part time band, full time lover kind of situation? <laughs> yeah, I need a lover that won't drive me crazy. You know, oh. <laughs> and knows the meaning of "Hey, hit the highway." That one. <laughs> Um, and part-time lover. I said they're both they're both jams. <laughs> they're both good for setting the mood. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a. Have you seen the um, the musical correctness formula? No, no. what's that? Um, a long time ago, Tim Idiot and Tom Kip wrote a paper for. Um, no, no, no. Uh, Tim Idiot wrote this thing for. I'm thinking of something else, but. Tim wrote this um, essay for um, the in-house fanzine of Matador Records. Oh wait, no, now, I, I, this kind of this is the, yeah, this rings, a, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm remembering this now. now okay, yeah. Put aside the groan-inducing notion of a label having an in-house fanzine. Like, put that aside for the moment. <laughs> and, I was, uh, I was making an effort. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a suspension of disbelief that you, you're just going to need to. Um, uh, engage in for the duration of this this next bit. These are all but, the um, ten biggest. Uh, and in that in that uh, thing in that um, in-house fanzine, he wrote an essay about musical correctness, um, which was a mathematical formula intended to take the guesswork out of liking music. And wow. um, music what it was. what it did was it evaluated bands based on. Um, their greatness and their sincerity and their execution. And, you know, uh, at a certain point, uh, um, when some of the, when some of the, um, factors or some of the variables are heavily negative, like when the aesthetic is driven heavily into the negative by stupidity or, or by, um, when when they're when the aim is to make music that is truly bad, right? Mm. Then excellence in execution and sincerity actually make it worse. Count against you because you're doing a, a fan, you're doing a better job of transcribing a really poisonous aesthetic, right? And I I think John Cougar Mellencamp fell into that uh, <laughs> in, into that category of where. Uh, his sincerity and his um, competence and execution actually worked against him because of in, what it was that he was presenting. Right. Because what he was trying to do was so uh, was so heinous that um, his numbers came up. Uh, his, despite having very high uh, uh, values for competence and sincerity, uh, those those actually worked against him because the aesthetic was so so. Uh, so ne- heavily negative at the time, negative in a statistical sense rather than in a um, philosophical sense. Well, and as a side note, I know for a pretty rock solid fact from my ex bandmate and forum member Ben Adrian that the Coog, aka John Cougar Mellencamp, called the right. cops on at least one, if not multiple, shows at a uh, punk rock place that had shows in, in Indianapolis oh, when the, Ben was there and the, living at the place. Coog is telling him to get off his lawn, man. That's not 
That's not cool. The Coog was trying to make some mid-tempo uh, mom jams, you know? Hey. <laughs> Your spastic rhythms. At least he was making them really Throwing me off. good. You know, at least he was executing them well when he was doing them. No, it didn't work. And I like the fact that the, the cougar part of John Cougar Mellencamp was actually something the record label made him put on. Well, because he transitioned. He was, uh, he was, he was just, just John Mellencamp. Oh, well, it's more he, serious now. He was just John Cougar for a while. And then he became John Cougar Mellencamp and then just John Mellencamp. And then just Mellencamp. And then Mellencamp. Why do you know Just this? Mel after why, that. Why like, do how you do know you that? know that? How the fuck just do you know Mel. that? Anyway. Uh, so, that yeah. that. that <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing we do. We go very deep down the rabbit hole, Steve. So just be aware. I'm with you. Mel, Mel, <laughs> so so Mel is a dick. So Mel is a dick. Is, is what we're saying. Well, hold on, I want to get back to like. Wait, wait, when was this written? Like this 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 paper you were talking about? Like there was. Uh, I want to say it was the well. It was during their tenure at Matador. So whenever during the Silkworm tenure at Matador. So I, I don't know when that was. Like the the third through I think fifth record, something like that. And I mean, we play a lot of Admiral Spit on this show and ninety something. I guess I don't know. Right. That was a terrible sitcom, by the way, 90-something. Oof. Um, I'll take your word for it. I'm yep. sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Reviews say, I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for <laughs> I'm it. I'm not even going to watch this. I would like to do a thing. I'd like to get the fuck out of that bit, first of all. And then I, I want to talk about a few Shellac songs for me. And you've been very patient with us, Steve. Thanks for talking to this. It's been wonderful. Uh, I, I'd like to, if you're into it, Talk about a few shellac songs and kind of tell me where uh, those things came from. Because I, I think you guys okay. have, have more sort of esoteric subject matter than the average baby, baby, I want to put inside your poop hole sort of level of lyricism. Okay. <laughs> and uh, That's a compliment. It is a compliment, yes, to be clear. Uh, and, and I kind of I kind of just interested in the rationale behind what brought these songs on and what was the inspiration behind them. So if you don't mind doing sort of okay, like a rap- sure. rapid-ish fire round of, of me telling song titles at you and then you trying to drag Rapid up. fire hour with Conan Neutron. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, sorry. Uh, I, I, did you, I didn't hear that last bit. Did you uh, ask something? Yeah, I, I was about to. So Mouse was being Mouse. So I'm sorry, Jacob was being Mouse. Jacob was being Mouse. Uh, Wing Walker. Where did, how did that come about? What's... The well, um, the uh, the wing walker. You know, do you know what a wing walker is? It's uh, one of the in in, in the wing day- walker is a kind of an acrobat who is on the plane would walk out on the wing of a of an airplane during uh, an exhibition, or, you know, an air show or exhibition or whatever, or barnstorming tour in the early era of aviation. Plane a plane flying was novelty, and eventually. That novelty wore off, and people wanted to do all kinds of different things in airplanes. And um, the, you know, there was a kind of a, a, a competition to get, you know, new and exciting experiences in the air for these barnstorm, barnstorming things to to generally promote aviation and provide income for pilots, right? Sure. So yeah. wing walking was a kind of aerial acrobatics where people would. Like do gymnastics and you know stand on their hands on the wing of an airplane as the airplane would buzz the grandstand or whatever. Um, and there was a female wing walker, you know, as, as the, the search for novelty um, progressed, there there became you know like husband and wife teams or whatever. And there was a there was one the song the basics of the song are just like 
description of this uh, of this female wing walker who who had the uh, do you know who Clara Bow was the it girl she was an early film yeah, yeah. film star actually my, she my was group... called the it girl because she had it that you know the, the ineffable the it je ne sais quoi of what made somebody um, have sex appeal and excitement or whatever so there was a female wing walker who was promoted as being the it girl of this guy and that was a line that I just stole for use in the song. Um, there's also, uh, I mean, the the arc of the song is about how, like, um, in the beginning, a flying a plane was, like, just the fact that flight was kind of incredible, and then that was became like a novelty, kind of a light amusement and not really taken that seriously, and then it became integrated into society and commerce and transportation and eventually became mundane and uh you know just became sort of uh, an accepted fact of modern life and so because of that it's possible to totally lose sight of the wonder of you know something as big and heavy as a fucking house that's just going through the air you know, all by itself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Through the air, which is fucking amazing if you think about it's it. It's a right? miracle. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like full of people and they're just like blase. They don't give a shit. They're just having, you know, like having, you know, rather bad wine, you know, and things like that, you know, but it's like, uh, the, the mundane, like the, the incredible becoming mundane, you know? Um, and there's also, there's like a little interlude in there where, which, where it describes an experience that a friend of mine had where it doesn't really describe it, but it's taken from a story that this friend of mine told me where he was living a fairly hedonistic lifestyle. And at one point he said that he, that the, the fatigue and the cocaine and the heroin in his system were all kind of at an equilibrium and he had synthesized <laughs> storm. A, a moment of clarity where he felt like, a complete neutral buoyancy and mm. for the first time in a very long time he was self he was aware of himself and his surroundings and what was going on and he saw in this moment very clear-eyed moment he saw that what what he was up to uh, which was not he had not known up until then and this moment of synthesized clarity happened when he happened to be involved in a three-way sexual escapade. <laughs> so there was a, a woman between him and another guy. He was working the south end. Uh, his The other guy was working the north end. He didn't know who either of these people were. Like right. they, He didn't recognize them. But he's, deep, he's, he's balls deep, so to speak. <clears throat> but he realized where he was suddenly that, like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here and I'm yeah. fucking this lady and, this and she's blowing that dude. And, and I don't know who either of them are, right? Wow. So and when he wow. when he realized this, he like looked across at this guy, and he felt overcome with like this self awareness, and he was really it was a really awkward moment, right? And to sort of take the edge off the situation, he tried to make light of it, and the way he made light of it was by sticking his arms out. And saying, "Hey, look at me! I'm a plane." <laughs> so, <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, so that that's where that line came from. Like, uh, um, it's not a 
it's not something that you could glean from the context of the song. No, but no, not at all. I'm glad in, we got... in the way that in the way that bands, as you've discussed, like bands all have an internal, totally, uh, nonstop inside joke going like that. You know, this is all, you know, common knowledge within the band. Like the, the details of this whole thing were all, all right. everybody. Everybody in the band knew what I was talking about. So, and that's all that really mattered to exactly, us. Exactly so. right. So, and anyway, but the song, like the song, basically takes. That whole, and then there, there's another little aside to that, which was that um, I knew a guy um, who was a guitar player, banjo player, and he got it in his head that he was going to build a light airplane from scratch. And, oh, and my build uncle an, decided that a while ago. Terrible idea. Yeah. So this guy built an airplane in his garage, um, piece by piece. Now, in the in the process of building this airplane, which was meant to be a diversion in his life and not a, the principal undertaking of his life, yeah. he it basically <laughs> absorbed his entire life. Like the garage was no longer yeah. suitable for putting a car in, you know, the house was no longer suitable for living in, that kind of thing. Yeah. And he also, you know, doing the metal work to work on the plane, he also cut off the tips of two fingers that he Ooh. would otherwise have been using to play guitar and banjo, which are his ah. principal pursuits, right? Um, and the, the really sad thing, like the sad thing about it was that he didn't do it like he didn't like in one fell swoop, cut the tips off of two fingers, right? He cut one of his fingers off and then a little while later cut the other one off, you know, it was like two separate incidents. It was two scoops, you know, (laughs) Um, two scoops of Maimon. So, I mean, it's, and so one of the other themes of the song is like how something that's meant to be like uh, a diversion or meant to be, it's it's like a small scale part of your life eventually overtakes your entire life and eventually becomes an obstacle and a, you know, like, and uh, the the obvious metaphor being drug use where like people get high to entertain themselves now and again, and then eventually getting high becomes like their whole reason for existing and their whole life just accommodates this, uh, their whole life just, you know, is reduced to a series of excuses that are used to accommodate, you know, this thing that was originally just a, a minor diversion. So, I mean, all those are like, I guess, are the themes of the song, but, uh, there's you not guess, one lyrical right? thread that really brings <laughs> it all in there. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's pretty much exactly what I was looking for and more. Uh, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, so how about copper? On a uh, copper is just like a straight up series of observations about the metal copper and uh you know imagining a relationship between <clears throat> copper the metal and somebody working with copper and copper feeling kind of um inadequate in the face of other metals that the, that the guy might be working with i guess yeah, I mean, and it, then the guy is sort of reminding sure. copper it's very malleable uh, sort of keeping copper in its place <laughs> as it were I mean, it's a you know, I guess it's musings on on the on the power structure of any relationship or like the the dominance and submission and like wanting to please each other and while still while simultaneously like sort of you know accommodating or taking advantage of each other that sort of thing. It's it's like the wanting partner, like like the lesser the lesser fuck, if you will, of the of the metals. Uh, in perception, but not always. But not always. They'd had copper. I I don't 
I, I couldn't really make out a lot of the words that you were just saying. So it's fine. I'm say, <laughs> Damn I'm it. I'm say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah just that's... nod, blink again. Yeah, yeah. I'll stand up when everybody else stands up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how about... You're still on cue. Uh, you're on cue. You're good. How about the end of radio? Uh, end of radio is just a bunch of musings about the, the idea. That, I mean, there was a lot of talk at the time we were writing the song about how the internet was supplanting radio and how, um, you know, there was this very fertile period where radio was invented and then uh, became the principal communication medium and a lot of broadcasting was done and now all that all that information is now like emanating from the earth like out into space forever and uh and then if there if there does come a point where radio is no longer being used um, or at least you know um linear modulated radio is no longer being used and it, let's say only digital communications being done, then that um, that sort of direct broadcasting to the universe is going to stop. <laughs> so there'll be this temporal window where for a period of, you know, starting with uh, Marconi, going through the, uh, the digital decline of terrestrial radio, like, that's the only period during which, you know, the, the, that discrete chunk of radio waves emanating from our planet will con- contain immediately decipherable information about our culture, about our history, about everything, and then it will stop. Um, and so there's a very limited period of time during which an alien civilization could discover what our, our what we were like here on Earth. Um, and it, they'd have to be listening during the period that those that that sequential series of radio waves hit that their their world, you know, and if they if they didn't get there and you know if they if they didn't start listening in time, then they they would never know we were there, you know. Um, th- that's part of it, but also like there's some uh, there there's this idea of like celebrity and how like in 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 small towns like local radio celebrities could be like legitimately famous, like as famous as Elvis, but only within the the broadcast radius of their local radio station. Right. You know? Local yeah. broadcast like, radius, yeah. Just big fish. I mean, uh, that's true. I mean there were there was a there were these radio there were radio DJs that are famous in every locale. Um but you know and, the, and there was this this radio DJ in Chicago named Steve Dahl who uh in the seventies and eighties was like super popular. Right, and he did a stunt where he wanted his rock music audience to come to Comiskey Park and blow up disco records. Oh yeah, disco demolition yeah, yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, That's, right, yeah, yeah. And it ended up being a complete fucking catastrophe. Like they, they, you know, they started fires in the outfield. <laughs> there were literally couples copulating on the infield between the two halves of a doubleheader. The White Sox eventually <laughs> needed to forfeit the second game of the doubleheader because it was such a melee they couldn't continue. Um, like, Jesus. And so here's a guy who by himself like summoned a, a rabid throng to destroy the national pastime for a day, you know? Through the power of uh, a single human voice. But you take that guy, you take that guy, Steve Dahl, before any of this happened and garnered him any national celebrity, you take that guy and bring him I don't mean, you know, not not just to another state or another country, but like another city, 
like you you take him to Detroit, and people probably didn't. Well, Detroit might be a bad example because he used to broadcast in Michigan, but like you take him to Kansas City, and people probably don't know who the fuck he is. You know? <laughs> yeah, you don't have so to go too walk, far out. Nobody cares what he uh, is. Yeah, he could walk around like totally unmolested, but in Chicago, he was enormously popular, enormously, you know, genuinely, legitimately celebrity famous, right? And and that's true even on a smaller scale, like smaller towns. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 this idea of celebrity is, is intoxicating. And, it, and people will use even the flimsiest of excuses to, to consider themselves celebrities. And then, you know, like anything else, the song is just a bunch of, like any of our other songs, the song is just sort of a, some stuff that's associated with all, that, with all those themes. And in particular, the end of radio, a lot of it is improvised, and so it ends up being different every night. Um, Right after John Peel died, I ended up talking. Whenever we do that song, I would end up talking about John Peel, and I, you know, I think he's just an incredibly important figure in music. Absolutely, yeah, objectively so, and, sure, for sure. Yeah. And also, like a super awesome dude. Like I, I got to spend some time with him uh, on a couple of occasions. I really deeply respected him and his dedication to what he's doing and his selflessness about it. You know, like I, every time I was around him, like no matter where he was, people would come up to him and press records and CDs into his hand and like bend his ear about their band and he would always take the time to stop and listen and I guarantee you that he would always go eventually go home and play all those records and listen to them and give them a serious ear you know like I sent him a big black record without any expectation and I received a postcard back like in in almost exactly what would have been the round trip time for me sending a record to England and a postcard coming back I got a postcard from him wow with comments about the songs and uh, a couple of little anecdotes about his life, I'd sent the the record from the post office in Evanston, Illinois, where I was going to college at the time. And uh, he told me this story about how he had an aunt that lived in Evanston, and he had visited her there, and he remembered uh, getting ice cream at a at, at the, the drugstore in Evanston. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy right. is like, you know. And I was, right. I was, you know, this is like a just some random record that turned up in the mail and he took the time to listen to it and it and digest it and reply in a personal manner. Like I'm nowhere near as busy as he was and I don't do anything like that. I don't even try to leave emails unread, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's just, I mean, it shows the character of the man and the fact that he was, you know, truly a giant among men. <laughs> Yeah, just that he had a thirst and, to hear things, you know, too. And yeah. way more important than he's given credit for in in the English music scene for just like keeping people informed on what was going elsewhere around the country and like giving a national audience to bands that would otherwise never have had it, that kind of thing. Cool. Well, where does that come from now? Is that like coming from the internet? You know, like, do, will we have those great DJs anymore? You know, like, I mean, probably not. I mean, there's no like, need it, for them, really. The, but, the, you the, know, it's a bygone thing. Well, it's, it's like a lost art almost. I mean, it's, it's nice to find people that are willing to put the effort into representing what they love too. I mean, that's and people still do, but it's just a on a, it's a different scale. Yeah, it's a, it's a smaller scale, smaller smaller often. Okay, so, you you yeah, I think an era where you can just have such a high percentage of people's, you know. You, there were three three networks for how long, you know, and now there's so many things. Like the biggest thing is nowhere near what the biggest thing used to be, and it right. would be impossible. You could never conglomerate that much. Yeah, 
market share. Scalability. Totally. And you shouldn't be able to. Cool. So tell me about the song Crow. Well, when we were on tour in Australia, one of our earliest tours, um, there was a, we were doing this really long drive through the, in the middle of the night. And at some point, um, we, a, a bird flew smack into the windshield of the van. And, uh, um, just wedged its beak under the wiper blade and instantly broke its neck. Ooh. Um, but, uh, we'd heard something hit the van, but we didn't really know what was up. It was in the middle of the night. There was, we were going through the, the interior of Australia. There's no street lights or anything. It's just like, you know, yeah. deserted highway for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Yeah, you and your lights and that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like driving through Arizona at night or whatever. Anyway, so uh, then, you know, we get where we're going for the rest stop. Like, we get where we're going, where we're supposed to crash for the night. We're And we crash, and then we get up in the morning, and we come out to the van, and there's this fucking crow who's uh, still there, like, wedged under the windshield that we had never, hadn't noticed. And it was just, so there's just this dead bird wedged in, in under the the wiper of the van. So we've been driving around all night with this dead bird stuck to our windshield, you know? Uh, and so crows were on our mind and, um, there, so that's where the title of the song, of the song came from. Um, the song itself is basically just, um, a little depiction of interaction between, uh, um, male and female, characters um and essentially the the male character is uh is deceptive and uh the female character is wants to be deceived and so uh she's actually sort of enabling him him in his deception and uh while she's not responsible for it um you know she is suffering it partly because of her own complicity, you know. Mm. Uh, so that's part of what the song is about. Uh, then um, the bit at the end is kind of wordplay. Um, and <laughs> Which is the theme of the show, so that's great. Yeah. And it's come it's up a few times. Odd, you know, just based on different expressions that use the word crow. Uh, and in, in particular, the concept of eating crow and uh, how, you know, if, if you were to go to a restaurant, the waiter m- might, as an aside, say, you know, and I don't particularly recommend the crow, you know, things, <laughs> <laughs> things, things of that nature. The crow is a little overcooked today. Yeah, the crow's idea. not so fresh. Speaking of uh, restaurants, I work in a restaurant, and uh, Noah Landis comes in pretty often, and uh, he wanted me to tell dude. you, he wanted me to tell you hi, so I... Well, hi, uh, Noah. Uh, I mean, yeah. he has my phone number. He doesn't really need to go through no, and talk to it. No, no, it was just like it was just like you came up in conversation. It was like, oh yeah, you know, like, what, what, like yeah, you came up in conversation. and I mentioned that we were, I was going to be talking to you like in the next few days. I'm like, oh hey, like if you get a chance, tell me today. Figured I'd throw it in. No. By the way, Steve, well, I'll be right you tell him that he can call him da- his damn self. Like, you know, I'll actually tell him that. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> by the way, a, he'll get a kick out of it. I'm sure. By the way, Steve, this is one of my favorite parts of our show: was when Mouse gets off on these 
so and so came into the restaurant the other day <laughs> because there's a right. lot of uh, just random, yeah, random characters that come into the some restaurant. Some of the things I'm like, how the fuck did this? What I don't even understand. What the, it, it's it's, it's uni- not relevant. It's uniquely don't worry. It's, it's not relevant. It's just sure. mouse. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, and and no, and Jason. I think we're gonna have them in uh, in a future show. Yeah, coming yeah, in on yeah sleeps on tour. So and he he's going out with uh, Scott on like they're going to Australia. Speaking of Australia, they're going to Australia for a week. Cool. So. I don't recommend the crow. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> uh, Although I'm watch out for crows. Uh, if you can give me, sure. uh, if you can give me two more songs, then then I think we might be able to cut you loose. Sure, after that. tear it up. But two more only. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go. Bill, your this supposed to be rapid fire. Come on, what are you doing? I, I'm trying to rapid. You're fucking. You're talking about to go. All right, rapid. Billiard player song. Uh, Go-in I early. have a. I personally have an appreciation for billiards, and uh, you know there there was a. Uh, there was a time when billiards were, billiard halls and billiard playing were like pretty ubiquitous. And, um, you know, billiard, some billiard players were sort of genuinely, um, seen as sports celebrities. And, uh, and then, and now billiards is kind of reduced down to, reduced to sort of a, an arcane and, arc, and archaic, um, pastime for, for very old men. And I spent a lot of time in pool rooms and, and, playing billiards uh in the 80s and 90s and um so i found myself in the company of really old dudes a lot and um <laughs> just hearing old dudes interact with each other and uh it is kind of enlightening because you realize that like all of your super badass friends that are like such you know um yeah you know, thrill seekers or whatever now eventually they're going to be you know, yeah. doddering little old men, or they're just sort of puttering around, and <laughs> and so like then you have to like working backwards from there, like like what crazy shit did these dudes get up to that I don't know about? You know, like you right, know, right. what kind of like these dudes lived lives that I have no idea what happened. Exactly, like what kind of like all night hooch parties were they involved in, Seriously. or you know, like did they, did they go on uh, panty raids and have orgies with debutantes and stuff like that? You know, like. There's just no way of knowing. Right? Bootlegging runs. But, but you have to assume that, you know, people being people, that they were doing shit that was as crazy as whatever shit my craziest friends were doing, you know? Sure. Uh, so th- that, you know, it was sort of that, like, the the idea of reflection. I'm not a particularly nostalgic person. In fact, I, I, don't, I don't really like to indulge a nostalgic impulse. I feel like it's a weak impulse. Um, and I, uh, but uh, I, I like, think about the idea that everybody has has history you know so yeah that's basically it's basically like thinking about um things that might have transpired in the lives of old men who happen to be uh uh now old dudes hanging around in a billiard room but anyway uh, but you know just musing about what their lives might have been like as yeah. young pe- younger people and things that they might have done to hurt other people that they now have to carry around with them for the rest of their lives and now what regrets do they have? Like what, you know, what things do they feel responsible for that now that they, that they're never going to be able to absolve themselves of that kind of thing. Heavy. Cool. Yeah. One more. You guys go deep. And, uh, <laughs> Ball it's kind deep. of cool though that, I mean, I, I like the fact that nobody would know any of this stuff without me explaining it to them. Well, that's you kind know, of what I wanted to like hear you yeah, explain yeah, it. Like, Cause that, yeah, I've been looking to, uh, you know, I've seen you guys, play quite a bit 
and uh, you know, I always like the like the talk up to it, but I always feel like there, there's more to, and that's that's great. That's that's exactly what I was looking for. So last last song. Oh, yeah, prayer to God. Uh, yeah, that's just a short story, sort of like a just a a fictional depiction of uh, you know how love and affection can flip over into hatred just because of a sense of being wronged. That's all. That one's not very deep. That one's all pretty much what it says. On the page. <laughs> it's pretty. Boom. It, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty out there for sure. But uh, I feel like it's worth. It's worth. It's worth mentioning. And uh, Christ, uh, Steve, it's been great talking to you, man. Hey, no problem. Yeah, we Glad really I could do it. Appreciate yeah, thanks, you sticking man. with us. Thank you very much. Uh, All right. Yeah. Uh, take her easy and um, yeah, keep on. Take it easy. Awesome. Hey, take it easy. <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> if it's easy, take it twice. All right. All right. Later, Talk brother. Later. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 <laughs> Fucking Steve Albini. Whoop, whoop, whoop on our what show. What a cool guy. What a, what a cool, cool guy. guy. What a cool Fucking guy. right on. That was pretty nice. That was cool. I, I could have done that. Throw songs at him for like I know. a while. I know. <laughs> we were willing to indulge you. Hey, man. I like that he ended on like, nah, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, like all these amazing stories for every single other Why don't you like hear that? that very straightforward song right now? Yeah, and, might uh, as well. Yeah. It's just a short story. It's your story. It's just some uh, story. It goes like this. Catalog number TG211CD. Audio compact disc. 44.1 kilohertz sample rate. 16-bit word length. Samples represented in 2's complement binary. 8 to 14 expansion. Set reproducer for reference level. 1,000 hertz. To the one true God above, here is my prayer. Not the first you've heard, but the first I wrote. Not the first, but the others were a long time ago. There are two people here, and I want you to kill them. Her, she can go quietly by disease or a blow to the base of her neck. Where her necklaces close, where her garments come together, where I used to lay my face. That's where you ought to kill her, in that particular place. Him, just fucking kill him. I don't care if it hurts. Yes, I do. I wanted to fucking kill him, but first, make him. particular woman let him hold out hold that someone or other might come and fucking kill him fucking kill him kill him already kill him fucking kill him fucking kill him kill him already kill him fucking kill him fucking kill him kill him already kill him just fucking Kill him, fucking kill him already, kill him, I'm fucking kill him, fucking kill him, kill him already, kill him, kill him already, kill him already, kill him, fucking kill him, just
fucking kill him. Kill him, just fucking kill him. Kill him already. Kill him already. Kill him. Amen. I guess he's right. That's uh, it's pretty straightforward. No, it's pretty straightforward. Kill there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of nuance to that. That's uh, there could have been though. Professionally nuances. Oh, oh. Let's pray to God oh. by the band Shellac, featuring Steve Albini, who just uh, took us to school there. He did. What were we talking about? The gin blossoms before this fucking. I know. Uh, Christ. I f- forgot to get his take on it, and also on uh, Mercury retrogrades. Oh, we did. Yeah, we. Uh, so sorry. So uh, before we were interrupted by Steve Albini, we were talking <laughs> yeah, about. Before before we were interrupted, interrupted by, our, by living legend Steve Albini. Our two-hour interview with Steve Albini. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so gin blossoms retrograde. Mercury retrograde. No, yeah, whatever. That was pretty nice. Yeah, was I don't want to talk to anyone anymore. You don't? Okay. Well, you don't have to talk to me. And Appreciate that about you. This up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got this. It's fine. You take a powder. You chill, man. Go, we'll sit, go sit in one of the comfy seats over there. Uh, see you guys. So this has been... You Can't, you can't Stop. The I thought we were going to do a thing where we all said a word. Oh, yeah. yeah we could. We you thought, well, you paused like you were going to... This has been you. I don't want to. No, I'm not going to do this shit, dude. <laughs> can't. No way. No way. Come on. You can't stop me. The signal. That was terrible. I hate us so much right now. Dude, why did you just do that? I tuned out. Why did you just do that? (laughs) I was like, I was on board. Please take that out. I was not on board from the get-go. I was fully (laughs) off board. I appreciate that. (laughs) Can't stop the signal.net. Ascii cockpits. At signal... Pod at uh, come on at, at Signal Pod at Signal Pod yeah. Twitter Twitter fuck I hate oh, I hate seeing these words you love it at Signal Pod dot Twitter dot com dot net <laughs> uh, wow, a, that is a fresh old man joke take on <laughs> the internet existing I took one look at the nah, internet and know. I downloaded straight into my pants <laughs> Ooh. all right anyway thanks guys uh, you can also Love you all. Oh, you just said, you said we're done just then, huh? I did. No, I was doing, yeah, a, I was doing <laughs> a classic Django, like, right, are we doing this? Are you, you get some good muttering going on. Yeah. That's, what That's what I'm here for, boys. We're on Facebook, if you must. If you must. If you must. <laughs> Look up uh, Steve Albini on electricalaudio.com. Yeah, yeah, he's there. That's the thing. He's, it's a uh, great forum, a lively community. It was actually a pretty lively community, that forum. Yeah, thanks for validating what I just said. <laughs> just in case, well, you know, I know there's a lot of people that listen to this. Just a lot of people that think what you say is bullshit. My, my so the thing is, I, the thing I really want to say is that I really like bananas. Bananas are good. They're a great source of potassium. Uh, hey, you know what's fine. good is a actually. Really <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So, so, so basically, what you're what you're saying, bananas are good. Bananas are good. So you're into bananas. <laughs> so like bananas are, you know, no bananas. That's you. Right. That's what you sound like. No, the bananas are, like, nice. You've been listening to You Can't Stop the Signal. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the home game. Is this thing on? Can you hear me now?
this thing on. at sea, anyone within the sound of my voice, I've got 50,000 watts of power. Electricity. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10 I'd like to thank our sponsor but we haven't got a sponsor not if you were the last man on earth she was prepared to prove it this one goes out to a special girl. But there 
he tried to make light of it. And the way he made light of it was by sticking his arms out and saying, hey, look at me, I'm a plane. <laughs> so, <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> uh, so that that's where that line came from. Like, 